get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I give him what he wants. Two years, I think he would take two years for $20 million. Do it. That was Greg Amzinger earlier today. Character and Smallman, 101ESPN.com. The 101ESPN app is where you find the podcast of that conversation. All brought to you by I Promise. So that was Greg Amzinger's opinion on this. Two years, $20 million. Get it done. Let's get Yachty back in a Cardinals uniform. Here's what Mark Saxon had to say about this situation yesterday in his piece for The Athletic. Quote, a recent conversation between the Cardinals and the representatives for Yadier Molina about a contract extension didn't get far, according to his source, with Yadier Molina's side balking at an offer that they deemed, quote, ridiculous, end quote. Well, that's not what we were looking for, Ferrario. We didn't want the first reports of an offer from one side to the other to be deemed ridiculous by Yadier Molina. What did you make of the news? Where do you think we are today, man? It's a great start to free agency, in my opinion, if that's the words we're getting out of this. No, you know, I, and I looked around a little bit and was reading a couple different articles. And from what I understand, and they, maybe this was just an opinion, but it sounds like that that ridiculous offer that Yadi's agent was talking about came once the season was wrapped up this was before the market started to present themselves so look if that was the first offer that was given to yachty of two years 20 million dollars and that's ridiculous to them i wonder if that was just at the beginning of free agency to where they said no you know what we're gonna get what jt real muto gets or we're gonna we're the second best free agent on the catching market right now but now I wonder if you get a two years, 20 million offer for Yachty, they sign on the dotted lines immediately because the market might not be any better than that for Yachty. It makes me wonder what he what he believes he's worth. And it makes me wonder what he's hearing out there from other teams, right? And the timing of this is very important, certainly. Did this happen in July? Did it happen in September? Did it happen two weeks ago? We don't know. We don't have the answers to these questions. But Mark Saxon also reported in that story he wants a one-year deal for $10 million plus an option for 2022. That's what Yadier Molina is seeking right now. Okay, great. I think that seems a little high, $10 million, given what we're seeing on the market right now, but whatever. It's Yadier Molina. He's a legacy player, as John Mozeliak said multiple times yesterday on the Zoom call. Uh, whatever. It is what it is, right? If he deemed that offer ridiculous, though, previously, and we know how prideful Yadier Molina is as a person and as a player, I'm not sure he's going to deem $10 million now to be, oh, yeah, hunky-dory. I feel great about that going into next year. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I 
I do wonder where he values himself right now. And if it is about the money, I wonder if there's going to be a better offer for him out there elsewhere, whether that be New York or in L.A. with the Angels, who are apparently one of the suitors for James McCann now. I wonder if there's going to be another alternative where they have more money to spend, more money available, and that is ultimately where he sees his value. Here's where I'm at on this, BK, and I'm confused as hell with all of this because I'm trying to read all of the breadcrumbs. I go back to the Friday after Thanksgiving where Yachty did that interview on Instagram where he said this isn't about money. This isn't about contract. This is about feeling comfortable where I go and winning. Okay, well, if that's the case, are you asking for more money from St. Louis because they aren't in that winning category? But then I'm hearing the other side of this, where John Mosaic is saying right now it's a holding period because we're waiting to get to see what Yachty and Wayno and his agents want. But then on the flip side of that, the agents for both of these players are saying, well, we haven't really gotten an offer yet. You see what I'm talking about? I feel like Charlie day on these gifts that we always talk about pointing to 18 different pictures. This all comes back to Yachty and what he wants, right? That's what we talked about. If I'm Yachty, that $10 million I'm signing on the dotted lines right now because I'm coming to a place that I feel comfortable in and I know the market so I can be at my best. The contenders are starting to diminish. You're not going to the Yankees if you want to play every day. You're not going to the Mets if this James McCann thing is real. There's not a lot of contenders out there for Yachty. So he might value himself more than what we value him as. But I think the Cardinals are right around that area in terms of what they value. They're just hoping it goes down over time. And 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, Yachty is not a $10 million player at this point in his career. I don't care if he's a legacy player. The Cardinals have given out enough bad contracts. So this is where they're going to be kind of trying to do the high wire act, right? Because the Cardinals said yesterday, confirmed by John Mosaylock, they're expecting that their payroll is going to go down from where it was last year. Last year was at 175-ish million dollars. Right now, before they make any moves, they're around $150 million. That means at a maximum, if we were to take them at their word, and we have no reason not to, they have basically $25 million at most to spend this offseason. If you give $10 million to Yadier Molina, and we've seen now that the free agent market for average to slightly above average major leaguers is seven to $10 million. Well, there's your moves. That's your entire offseason basically is bringing back Yadier Molina and adding one player to this current team. So it does make, there are some decisions that have to be made very, very quickly. And this is where it comes back to what John Mosellock said yesterday as well of, the first thing this team has to decide is what they're going to do with both Yachty and Wayno. Yeah. Then they can move on to any of the other decisions that they're going to make, because if they don't bring back Yachty, well, now they have to add another catcher who may maybe costs two, three, four million dollars. And now you have a little bit more wiggle room for whoever that bat is, whoever those other players are that you want to add to your lineup. But if you do bring back Yachty, if you do bring back Wayno, it restricts what you're able to do in the open market. So it's almost while you wish it wasn't this way, it does seem like it very well could be in either or between Yachty and Wayno or adding a more significant bat to the line. Yeah, there's no question that it's going to come down to either or. Like, I think the days of hoping it's both of those guys are gone because John Mosellick has stated numerous times yesterday in his Zoom call that offense is the upgrade. That's the area that they have to get better at. And you don't get better at that with Yachty and Wayno. You get better with that from somebody in the free agent market. 
the the flip side of this one for me too, BK is bringing back you're going to pay Jack Flaherty more money this year you're going to pay Jordan Hicks more money this year because these are these arbitration players and look what John Gant got the 2.1 million I think you're going to be very tight when it comes to salary for free agents which after the zoom call yesterday which I know we're going to get deeper into that from John Mozeliak I'm starting to believe less that they make a move to upgrade offensively I think it's going to be a minor signing that is a complimentary piece to this offense. I thought at the beginning of the offseason, the Cardinals were going to basically bring back Yachty, bring back Wayno, bring in one bat. Based on where we are today, how do you feel about those three acquisitions? Do you still believe they're going to bring back Yachty, Wayno, and a bat? No, I think it's Yachty and a minor bat. I don't think this is a Rosario Kyle Schwarber bat. I think this is a bottom of the bargain bin bat. I think I'm there with you. I don't think they're bringing back Adam Wainwright. No, I don't. I think one thing that w- one thing that was said yesterday on the Zoom call that didn't get a whole lot of attention, and then later on, what Mark Saxon reported is, I think it's really interesting that there has been an offer between the Cardinals and Yachty. Now, what the timing of that offer was, I'm not sure, right. but there was an offer nonetheless. We heard Adam Wainwright talk publicly the other day, especially on Carriker and Smallman, about the fact that there has been no offer made by the Cardinals to Adam Wainwright. He said that he is hearing elsewhere from other teams. I think that tells you everything you need to know about the pecking order of who is in line first for a contract from the Cardinals. They view it, based on that, as Yachty 1, maybe Wayno 2, and then third they'll get to whatever externally they're going to decide to do. So I think they're going to bring back Yachty. I think they ultimately find a way to do so. I don't think they're going to bring back Wayno because hearing what Mo said yesterday, I think they're really comfortable with their starting options. Yeah. I think they view this as a very competitive rotation where they've already got a ton of starters that have realistic chances of being quality starters for them. And they want to give them an opportunity next year, much like they've done in the past to filter through guys, to give younger players opportunities in the outfield. And then I think that like you, they're going to add one bat, but I we're going to talk with Day, Dan Hayes mm-hmm. of the Athletic Minnesota coming up here in about 15 minutes. I'm not even sure at this point that Eddie Rosario is a realistic candidate for this. How much team. do they expect him to make? Like seven, eight yeah, million he's dollars. Not a, he's not a realistic option. I think we might be talking more about the three to four million dollar. I think we might be talking about the million dollar candidates like a Brad Miller last year. <laughs> I really after hearing Mo yesterday, BK, I am at the point now where and I heard Randy say it today too where I'd be surprised if they spent money I'd be surprised if they went over two million dollars for an addition to a bat because all of these upgrades and money with arbitration and for them saying they're going to be less and right now when you look at the current roster I think you have a fourth of like a major league baseball 40-man roster Yachty's going to command money. All of these arbitration players are going to come. I mean, you're looking at one to $2 million wiggle room for these guys. So Greg Amzinger, last thing here, was on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today. Here's what he said about his conversation with Derek Gould, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch Cardinals beat writer, when he had him on MLB Network yesterday after the Zoom call. The entire focus of the St. Louis Cardinals this winter, based on a meeting they had with John Mosellock, was to re-sign two guys that are almost 40 years old. I don't know if that's the best sign. I don't know if that's a good thing. That Zoom meeting sucked the life out of poor Derek Gould. <laughs> it doesn't it make me feel good about where the Cardinals are right now. Like I Watching that thing last night, I was like, oh, 
This is really going to be a rough offseason, is it? <laughs> the, the biggest themes of the entire call were, hey, everybody, need, you just need to be patient. And then number two was, eh, it's going to be a tough year. It's going to be a tough year financially again. Okay, awesome. Fantastic. It's 11.15, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So like I said, we'll have Dean Hayes of The Athletic Minnesota coming up at 11.30. He'll tell us a little bit more about Eddie Rosario and the Cardinals' options of what they would potentially be adding if they decided to go that route in the free agent market. But coming up next, Cardinals weren't the only team locally that had some big news yesterday. The Blues now know what their division is likely to look like next year. How in the world did they end up in this division? We'll tell you about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. There's some good hockey teams in that division. It should be uh, some good com- good competition, good challenges, and um, be a hard-fought season. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, we find a way to get things done, and uh, we have a really solid group, so we're excited to see what happens. That was Jordan Bennington yesterday after learning of what the Blues' potential division could be. He was on with the fast lane. If you missed any of that conversation, 101ESPN.com is where you can find it. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So if you missed the news yesterday, the NHL has at least its first proposed division realignment idea for what next year could look like. This is not finalized. It is not a guarantee that this is the way that things go. But as of today, if things were finalized today, this is how the divisions would go. The Blues would be in what I'm going to call the Pacific Division because it's basically all of the West Coast teams plus St. Louis, along with Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Dallas, L.A., San Jose, and Vegas. First of all, that's a tough division. Second of all, I don't know about you guys, I'm not looking forward to the 9 o'clock start times. Oh, what are you talking about? I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait for the 9 o'clock start times. Post game till 1 in the morning, right, T-Bone? <laughs> Going to be fantastic. I can't wait to hear Alex Ferrario on the pre-post and intermissions uh, coming up this year. Now, I, w- I do want to react quickly to um, how this happened. Because Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com yesterday wrote that regarding St. Louis being in the NHL's Western Division and Minnesota being in the Central, he has heard that the Wild didn't want to travel or play out West versus the remaining Central. Uh, Blues and broadcast partner actually preferred that travel and those start times. So that's why the Blues ended up in the West. He adds that it's kind of interesting considering that most of the Blues fans that he's heard of didn't seem happy with those start times. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) But a couple of sources told Greg Wyshynski that the Blues Fox Sports Midwest Network preferred it to the slew of Eastern time zone teams in the Central Division. We can both confirm uh, that is not necessarily the case from the people that we have talked with. Uh, It does not sound like Fox Sports Midwest had a whole lot of say in this, if any say whatsoever, in where the Blues would potentially be placed. I don't know if that is the case on the Blues side of things, but I know for the TV side, that is not necessarily the case. So I am curious from your perspective, Ferrario, if it is not the television side of things that led to this, why in the world are the Blues in this Pacific division? It doesn't make sense regionally because... You don't have the Detroit, Chicago, Nashville, St. Louis rivalries mm-hmm. on that side of things. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense geographically to have the Blues in that region. 
Why did this end up being the route that they took, in your opinion? Yeah, this is the hardest thing for me to understand, BK. And, and looking at this last night, you know, the only thing that you and I could think of was because, oh, well, they're trying to avoid Cardinals conflicts. But again, we can report that the television side had no decision making in this. This is an NHL thing to say. Now, I will tell people, at least from a couple people I've talked to, this isn't written in stone. Like, this is, is, isn't in permanent marker right now. This could flip today. They still have a lot of Board of Governors meetings that need to take place, so this could change. The only thing that I could think of that factors into this was that Minnesota was adamant about not playing on the West Coast. And if Minnesota is sitting there saying, no way, we're not doing this, and then the NHL comes to St. Louis and says, hey, St. Louis, what about you? They're impartial to it. They're going to be the ones that selected on this. But this doesn't make any sense to me because there are zero rivalries in this division for the Blues. Like playing against Colorado kind of is becoming more of one. I'll give that to you. But in terms of of fan interest, they want to see Chicago, Nashville, Detroit, Columbus. Like those are the teams that there's rivalries in history with. Vegas is the one that you can tie probably the most with, and that's because of the Petrangelo stuff. Dallas, okay, I can see what you're looking at. Colorado, but the West Coast side, that makes zero sense to me. And frankly, it makes zero sense for the Minnesota Wild, too, because they're in the central time zone. Both of these teams kind of are screwed when it comes to where they play. So it was going to have one team that got screwed regardless, right? right? Yeah, one of these teams is going to be upset about this. But I think at least reading between the lines, and this is just an opinion right now, Minnesota had to have been more adamant about not playing on the West Coast, whereas St. Louis said, we don't really care. Just put us in a division and we'll play. So we know how this works, right? Um, Typically, everything's a negotiation. We're seeing that in baseball right now with the designated hitter. It's laughable at best that they have not made a decision on that, but it's because the owners want something in return for giving the players the designated hitter in the National League, which ultimately gives them more leverage. They have more teams to talk to. It adds more payroll to the books. That's good for players. The owners want something in return. If St. Louis is willing to go along with this, my guess, and this is an uninformed guess, this is not reported speculation, but guess, would be that the Blues are going to get a kickback at some point for this. Yeah. I don't know if that's another Winter Classic. Like, they were, they they didn't end up getting mm-hmm. that this year. Maybe instead of playing it elsewhere the next time that they get the Winter Classic, that's going to be in St. Louis again next time that they're right. in the Winter Classic. I don't know if that means that they get another All-Star game in the future. I don't know what the Blues will get in return for this, but my guess would be if the Blues are willing to be the good soldier and they're willing to go out west because the NHL had somebody that had to t- fall on this sword, right? Right. I think they're going to get something in the future. So if it means one season in a weird pandemic year of nine o'clock start times for what could be an, another unbelievable lifetime memory for blues fans, I guess I can see at least a portion of why they would decide, you know what? Okay, we'll live with it. We'll eat it for one season. Then we'll move forward and get something out of it. Yeah, that makes sense. And if that's the case, then that's where this comes with. And again, this could change tonight. This could change tomorrow. They could realign these divisions as they move forward. But again, there's not much wiggle room for Minnesota and St. Louis because you have two teams that are in the central time zone that's either going to be playing in the eastern time zone or you're going to be playing in the western time zone. Now, do remember that when you're playing these teams on the road, it's not like you're just going there for one game and coming back and screwing up your time zones, right? You're going to be there for at least three to four days playing multiple games, at least if that's the way that the NHL's going with these divisions and the way that the games are going to be played in series. My problem is what we talked about with Chris Kerber yesterday. If you're aligning these divisions and you want them to be competitive, 
you've made the Pacific really competitive, but you're going to have one of those teams sitting out of the postseason that doesn't deserve to be sitting out of the postseason. Whereas if you look at what they're calling the central division, there's going to be a team in the postseason that might not deserve to be in the postseason because the strength of the teams that you're playing and understand that you're playing all of these teams all season. You play each team eight eight times. So there's no going to other divisions yeah. and playing. It's basically a hub without actually being exactly. in one location. You're from St. Louis to the West Coast. That's where you're going. But, it's what the Cardinals did this year with the Central Divisions. Right. But look at it. Colorado, Vegas, Dallas, St. Louis. Now, yeah, you have these West Coast teams that really don't expect to be competitive. But right now, your third or fourth best team of those those groups in the division whereas if you go to the central slot tampa and nashville are the two dominant forces in that division and then there's a bunch of other teams that are close with each other so i just think when you're weighing the options here one side is heavily favored compared to the other can i give you a hot take please the blues are better off in this division than they would have been in the typical central division. okay explain yourself because i don't agree so in the central division you've got colorado dallas nashville minnesota winnipeg that to me is an absolute gauntlet especially going into this upcoming season compared to what they have in this division mm-hmm. in this division you do have arizona you do have anaheim you do have the kings who have a little bit of talent, but let's be honest, that's not the same as going up against Nashville or Dallas or Colorado mm-hmm. in the wet in the central. And then San Jose, who hasn't been good recently. I think you have more of the bottom feeder teams in this division than you typically would in the central division. So is it perfect? No, absolutely not. But I do think that the blues might even be in a better situation in this one, not as opposed to the new central division, the new central division is different entirely, but compared to what their typical central would be with Colorado, Dallas, Nashville, Winnipeg, Minnesota, and Chicago. I agree that that central usually is a gauntlet. And I know we got to get out of here to, uh, to get to Dan and talk a little baseball again, but I'll if, if if this was a normal 82-game schedule, I'd agree with you. They're in a good spot because this is what you're used to, these heavy teams you're playing against, and that's the blue style. But you're going to be playing 56 games in a shortened, condensed amount of time if it's considered a condensed amount of time. We don't know what the schedule looks like. The Blues are going to have to adapt their style of hockey with these teams and this style and this division for a 56-game schedule because this now is a sprint to get to the postseason rather than just a, 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 a run. Like You are now in the situation where you can't take games for granted, and you got to hope and pray that COVID doesn't affect you in these divisions because without players playing against these teams, you might be the fifth best team in this division where otherwise you'd be top three. Who do you think would be the four be- better? I think in, in a shortened season like this, San Jose could get on a little bit of run. They still have some really? elite players. They still got Evander Kane. They still got Logan Couture. They still have Eric Carlson and Brent Burns. You still have to be concerned about these guys. Um, I think you have to be at least concerned a little bit about the LA Kings because Jonathan Quick can turn it on. Yeah. And I could say the same thing, though, about Jordan Bennington. I know? agree. I agree. You're still, in my opinion, the fourth best team in this division, but there really is a chance. I'll give them the third best because I think Dallas is a little less than them, but there's a chance that you could be the fifth team on the outside of a playoff spot looking in. It's possible. I just think that could have also been the case in the central, the, yep. the typical central division. So as rough as it looks, I think it's worse for fans than it is for the team. 
I think for fans, it sucks that all these games are going to start at 9 o'clock. And for you, it's for sucks. the pre and post game host. <laughs> yeah, that anyway. is going to be at 9 o'clock. But for the team itself, as much as everybody freaked out about this yesterday, I think as we actually see, see the season go along, I don't think it's going to be a, as bad as we're, we're right now discussing. Yeah. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So why was Eddie Rosario non-tendered? And what is the team going to get from him if they decide to sign him? He is certainly a contender for the Cardinals. We'll talk about that with Dan Hayes, the Twins beat writer for The Athletic, when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Excited to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by Dan Hayes, the Twins beat writer for The Athletic Minnesota, joining us here on the show. Dan, we really do apologize for taking you away from what I'm sure has been a riveting edition of the Rule 5 draft. But thanks so much for the time today. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, I uh... It's funny. It's been so out of touch. I realized it was started just by looking at Twitter. It's like, oh, man, the Rule 5 draft. Usually I miss it because I'm late getting down there in the morning. Today it was just because I forgot. It was like, what a weird week. So Don't, don't weird feel year. bad because apparently Major League Baseball was a little late as well. They didn't get started on time either. So <laughs> you are certainly not alone here. Dan, the reason we wanted to have you on uh, here in St. Louis is because uh, the Twins uh, non-tendered Eddie Rosario. And he, of course, has been uh, the subject of a whole heck of a lot of discussion for a lot of teams around baseball. But certainly Cardinals fans have been interested in him because he's got power and the Cardinals lack a lot of power. Can you tell our listeners kind of a little bit of the background as to what you believe went into the decision as to why the Twins decided not to tender Eddie Rosario? Yeah, honestly, it was it was very much a dollars and cents kind of thing. The Twins have Alex Kirloff, who might be their best pure hitting prospect since Joe Maurer, ready to go. Uh, he's he made it. They they called him up for the playoffs, um, and he actually started in Game Two of the uh, ALDS against the Astros and became only the third rookie ever to make their major league debut in the postseason. So they they're ready with him. And, and Eddie Rosario was going to cost anywhere between nine and twelve million dollars uh, going into his last year of arbitration. And Eddie Rosario has been a great player for the the Cardin or for the uh, Twins over the years, and and one of their most entertaining guys. Uh, he's sort of a polarizing figure with fans because he can kind of be all over the spectrum. But you know, it just really came down to, to money versus anything to do with with him. Um, I you know he's actually been one of uh, this is my third year covering the twins and he's probably one of my favorite guys to watch uh, just because he is so entertaining but um, you know that's just the way things have been going lately with teams they we saw we didn't see a ton of guys we did see a ton of guys in the AL and the NL Central non-tendered obviously um, the Cardinals made their decision not to bring back Colton Wong and that was probably a, a dollars and cents kind of mm-hmm. thing as well so uh, I, I think it's along the lines of that so, Dan, in St. Louis, everyone, fans trying to make the connection to the Cardinals and Eddie Rosario, if that would make sense as a free agent. So you mentioned how much fun he was as a player to cover. So give me a little bit of a background of what type of player Eddie Rosario is. People see the stats, but what don't they see about this guy? Well, OK, first of all, I'm going to tell you right now that he is going to piss off half of the fans with some play immediately. And then he's going to make an amazing play to make up for it. Uh, he has those moments where 
he tries to make too much happen uh, on the bases or he swings from the heels, man. I mean, this guy is a wild free swinger. And, and that's part of the reason why the Twins moved on was the on-base percentage never was great. You look at his OPS, he's always been a guy that's been 800 or above. It's because his slug is so good. And, and yet, at the same time that he can be maddening, he has this amazing arm. Uh, he's always among the assist leaders. Um, Paul Malder, a couple of years ago, said that you, every team needs one guy that can hit the other guy, the other team's best pitcher, that that kind of guy that's unafraid for the moment, and that's Eddie Rosario to a T. He he loves those big moments. Uh, a couple of years ago, you know, Trevor Bauer was dominating with Cleveland, and Rosario hit three home runs that day. You you one pitch was about eight inches inside. You don't even know how he got to it, and and he's able to turn on it and pull it out. And um, my favorite part about that afterwards was. One of the guys said, "What do you think about the the pitch location to Bauer?" And Bauer or uh, asked Bauer about it, and and Bauer basically said, "Whatever." And that was it. That was the response. He was so infuriated because Rosario is hitting pitches that you just shouldn't hit. Um, he he is a fascinating player, but he is all over the map, and and I think that uh, he's the kind of entertaining player. It, it's pure chaos. Which again, it's maddening at times, but then he makes plays out of nowhere that, you know, you understand why he is as good as he is. We're talking to Dan Hayes of the Athletic Minnesota here on 101 ESPN. Dan, the funny thing is, like, you're describing him, and I would imagine, because. It, in some ways, it sounds a little bit like Tyler O'Neill, who's been a, a frustrating player for Cardinals fans to watch. But his issue is he sw- he swings and misses a ton, and he strikes out about thirty percent of the time. As I look at Eddie Rosario's numbers, I mean he, his strikeout numbers actually aren't as bad as I would expect, given the description. Right. They're around fifteen percent. So, it, can can you explain to me how that happens, given his wild swinging ways? Well, he's just got quick hands, and he's he's got great bat ball skills. I mean, the the guy is a contact machine, and and that's really what it comes down to is he hasn't found a pitch that he doesn't like, um, and and he knows how to get to him. He he just you know he practices um, with Rudy Hernandez, who is the Twins' co hitting coach. They used to set up a tee, you know just an inch off of the inside of his body. And he'd try to figure out a way to get a swing and, and put a good swing on that pitch. And, you know, he's just very good at, at those kind of skills. And, and it's been weird because you look at his zone, if, if they did a spray chart for where the pitches he hits, you look at that. I mean, it's absurd. Some of the pitches that he swings at, and, and he often finds a way to make contact. He'll hit a home run on a pitch two inches off of uh, his shoe tops he'll hit a a home run on a pitch that's up and away on the zone. So, I mean, he's just got the largest strikes on I've ever seen. And, and somehow he, he finds a way to all of them. So Dan, when, when you look at the market right now, in terms of free agency, Eddie Rosario, of course, out there with a lot of other names in the outfield market, what do you feel like this, uh, this market will bring for Eddie Rosario? Do you, do you see a lot of teams trying to get after this outfielder? Or do you think this could be a signing that goes under the radar? I, you know, it's hard to say. Look, the Twins have never received a, a trade offer that wowed them for him. And, and you look at what he did in 2018, especially if you look at his pre-All-Star numbers, 
Eddie Rosario was the biggest snub in baseball at the All-Star break that year. I think he was like a three-and-a-half win player. You know, he's hitting above 300, plenty of power. Um, and yet, even though he was probably – as good as anybody in the American League at that time, they just they never received value offers for him. They put him on waivers for any team to claim him right before the uh, the tender date, you know, earlier this month, and nobody claimed him. the The possibility was there for him to be claimed at, at his arb salary, which would have been like like I said, anywhere from nine to twelve million, and they had no takers. So, what it means, I, I'm going to guess he's somewhere around a seven million, eight million dollar contract um, per year, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was like a one or two year deal. He's still a young guy. It's not, you know, there's no problems there. But you look at you know the whole package and, and teams just haven't taken him and it might be because he's sort of on again off again defensively you know at one last year he had the worst defensive outfield year in baseball but in i think three of the past five years he's been a plus defender so he's just all over the map and it's, it's a very intriguing profile and and i wonder how it will play in free agency i mean somebody's gonna get a good player by taking him it's just that it doesn't i don't know that people will line up for him because they just haven't in the past last question that i wanted to ask you dan is uh, another free agent currently that the twins it seems like are at least letting explore the market and it's a very different profile Uh, both of them have power but one of them is a younger man the other one is 40 years old next year (laughs) of course i'm talking about nelson cruz and the guy just hits for power every single year regardless of how old he is do you think that that's going to sustain itself next year? And do you expect him to be able to continue slugging 550 or above for wherever he goes next? I, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, he's so dedicated. One, he's got a great job in the fact that he just has to hit. And and the amount of time he puts into that, he doesn't take anything lightly. I mean, his, his regiment from every day, from the time he wakes up all the way till first pitch, is so finely tuned and he knows exactly what he needs to do to get in the, in the box five, four or five times a night and put together extremely good at bats every time. And, and, you know, whether it's his naps uh, midday after he works out the way he eats, you know, the, the preparation in the cage, the video, all of that stuff, everything is defined and he knows exactly who he is. And, so whether or not he can withstand the aging curve, we'll see. But, I mean, he's done it so far, and, and he's a physical specimen. And, again, you know, he, he sleeps something like 12 hours a day. He does not go out at the hotel uh, after games. He is a home and to bed to, to prepare to do it all again the next day because he knows this is what he's there for. So, you know, I, I, I think that it's possible he'll continue. I don't know that it'll be exactly as dominant just because you figure a guy slows down, but at the same time, you know, he's going to be one of those guys that will always test that theory because of just the way he, everything that he puts into it. Well, Dan, we are uh, certainly going to be paying attention to all of this. People can find your work over on Twitter at Dan Hayes MLB. They can read it over on the athletic where you are the twins beat writer. Always appreciate the time, Dan. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me on guys. Absolutely. That's Dan Hayes joining us here on 101 ESPN. So he said for Eddie Rosario, seven, $8 million is probably what you're looking at. One or two year deal. Potentially. I love this quote from him. He said, every team needs one guy that can hit the other team's best hitter or best starter, rather, and that's Eddie Rosario for him. Especially those three home runs, and I remember that game against Trevor Bauer dealing with the Cleveland Indians. I wonder, because I I actually would amend that quote a little bit. 
I would say that every team needs multiple guys now. I think there was a time when maybe you could get by with just one. Mm-hmm. I think now in today's game, when you've got these quote-unquote super teams, like what the Cubs were in 2016, like what the Dodgers were last year, the Yankees have kind of put this together. I don't think you can get by with just one anymore, and I think that's what the Cardinals have learned. Paul Goldschmidt's amazing, and he can hit the opposing pitcher, opposing team's best pitcher. We've seen that in the past. But who's the protection? Who's the other guy that they have to worry about? Where is the other pivot point in the lineup? Right now, the Cardinals don't have one. Mm -hmm. And if you added a guy like Eddie Rosario or whoever your favorite player on the market is, that's where things get a little more interesting for them offensively. And I know that the the on-base percentage isn't there. He does not walk. But as you just heard from Dan Hayes, he also doesn't really strike out a ton. And it's going to be frustrating at times. And maybe it's a little uneven in terms of how the performance gets there. But the dude, despite how up and down he is on a day in, day out basis, if you look at his year to year statistics, he's basically the same dude every year. He's a 270 to 280 hitter that gets on base about 32 percent of the time, and he's going to hit you at 20 to 25 home runs. That's who he's been every season of his career over the last four years. You know who he sounds like and not defensively, but offensively He sounds like Javier Baez. He he sounds like a guy. I mean, just hearing Dan explain that this is a guy who will swing at pretty much everything, but he's going to hit a home run down at the bottom of his feet, which he shouldn't be able to. And he's going to hit one up by his chin, which he shouldn't be able to. That's Javier Baez. Look, the more he explained Eddie Rosario, he sounds like a guy that would fit into what the Cardinals are hoping for. But then you hear the seven to eight million dollars and you think, yep, not going to happen. See, I the other thing about him is I don't think the Cardinals have a player like that on their current roster. Like I, I don't, don't think they have a guy that just has a great batted ball percentage where he's going to hit everything, even if it doesn't end up going down for a hit. It's going to be in play. They don't really have that guy and they don't have a dude like that who hits for power. And so you're. You're giving yourself a little bit more of a differentiating factor inside of that lineup. You don't need seven guys in the lineup that are high on base percentage. Mm -hmm. You need some guys that are going to get on base. You need some power. You need some guys that are going to hit for average. And if you add all of those things up and you have different styles of hitter in your lineup, that's how you become the best possible team. And the Cardinals are missing somebody kind of like Eddie Rosario in that lineup right now. It just comes down to, are they willing to pay 7 or $8 million right. to be able to get it? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. We'll get some questions and answers coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Coming up here in just about 20 minutes or so, we will be joined by Joey Vitale to talk about the Blues' potential new division and what he thinks it's going to be like to be in that Pacific division. We'll get to that in 20 minutes with Joey Vitale. But right now, let's start with this from the 636. Guys, do you think that it is officially the end of an era and that Yadier Molina will not be back in St. Louis next year? I don't think it's official. I think there is a higher chance for it now than what it was once the offseason began mostly because it's taken this long to come like if he was going to come back I think there would have been some type of an agreement um, but I also look at the other teams that are out there right now for Yadi or Molina and those contenders are starting to diminish so I think it's just more likely he's going to come back. I think it's the easier choice for Yachty to come back and get paid close to what he feels like he's worth. I think there's two issues for Yachty right now um, on his side of things, not the Cardinal side of things. 
For Yachty, he has the issue of there being multiple other quality catchers out there, both of whom are much younger than him, both of whom hit for more power than him. James McCann seems to be the Mets' preference of where they want to go for their catcher. So they're likely going to sign him, according to the reports yesterday. And the other guy that's out there is JT Realmuto, who is a game-changing yeah. presence for wherever he decides to sign and is a super athlete who it's for a ton of power. He's just like, he's not at all com- comparable to Yadier Molina. So that hurts him in terms of what his market is. If those guys weren't available and it was your typical catcher market where there's just... There's some maybe spot starters on the market, but right. really, Yadi's the clear-cut number one option. Well, then I think the Mets would have signed him. I think he would have been a New York Met, but that's not the case. And so you come back to the market again, and okay, so what are the options realistically? And I think it looks to me like if the Angels miss out on uh, James McCann, maybe they're an option for Yadi. But now you go back to Yadi's perspective. Oh, okay. Do I want to go play for the Angels or the Cardinals if the money is even similar? Mm-hmm. I don't know how anybody could convince them, despite all of the Cardinals' flaws, that the Angels are a better team next year than the Cardinals. I agree. So the Cardinals are in the better, easier division to win. They have, in my opinion, the better pitching. Yeah, the Angels have Trout and Rendon, but they don't have any pitching. They don't have a team that is going to be at the caliber of the Cardinals next season, right. in my opinion. So with all of that being in mind, I, I think it then comes back to the Cardinals are very clearly the best option for Yachty. And then from the Cardinals perspective, it is what's the money decision yeah. here, right? So I think that Yachty will eventually come to terms in his head that St. Louis is the best option for him. And I think the Cardinals eventually will come to terms with, okay, let's give him eight to $10 million and let's just get this done. So I think he's going to be back still next Here's year. Here's the other thing real quick that I'm, that I wonder if the other teams take into consideration, you know, yes, he is a highly touted catcher and a hall of fame catcher without question, but is he worth the money for a guy who doesn't know your pitching staff? Like he's worth the money in St. Louis because he knows every guy he's going to be working with. He knows their tendencies. He makes those guys better. But in a one-off season, can you learn that pitching staff to dictate them and make them better the way that you make the Cardinals pitching better? I think he can just because the dude works his ass off at that. Like that's, that's what Yadier Molina is known for, right? Is how he works and how much he's willing and able to get the most out of his starters and his, um, his relievers. So I I would expect that he would be fine. Um, But if you're one of those teams, what is the value of him compared to some of these other guys? Like with James McCann, he brings a lot of what Yadi does in terms of defensively. And you feel like there's more upside there with the bat and you know, okay, James McCann's what, 30, 31 years old. Yachty is 38. Right. It's it's tough to convince yourself that Yachty is clearly the better option for them. So to me, I still think ultimately he's going to end up back here with St. Louis and then uh, they move forward. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314 is a little bit of a follow-up question. Guys, are we not talking about Yachty and Wayno as a package deal anymore? What voice does Yachty have or Wayno have and where the other goes at this point? See, I go back to what Mark Saxon told us the last time we had him on where he said, you know, I think that that was just at the beginning of the season. That seemed kind of like a little bit of a laugh off comment. I don't know if that ever really held any pause that those guys were going to go to the same spot. But again, Yachty's gotten a contract offer, at least the reports are from the Cardinals. Wayno hasn't gotten anything. And from hearing Wainwright the last time we heard him talk when he won the Roberto Clemente Award, Really seems like he's kind of written off the Cardinals at this point. And Yachty, of course, is the one that the Cardinals want back. 
I just don't see them being a package deal anymore unless one is going to take significantly less money than what they could get on the open market. Yeah, I don't see it as a, I don't think it ever was. I don't think it's ever going to be a deal. I know we kind of convinced ourselves of this, but I think Saxon said this with us uh, a little while ago yeah. when he was on. He's like, hey, listen, I, th- I think they did talk about it, but I think it was kind of tongue in cheek where it was like, let's go together. Let's go right. somewhere. I think this always is. I hear about this a lot in recruiting, right? Whether it be college basketball or college football, you'll hear guys that played on the same team. They're like, we're a package deal. We're going to go to the same place together, right? Didn't Michael Porter and Kevin Knox do that with Mizzou (laughs) until Kentucky came calling? And so suddenly one of them has an opportunity to go to Kentucky and the other one has the opportunity to at best go to uh, Missouri State. It's like, okay, are both of them going to go to Missouri State? No. Uh, No, of course not. If you've got one guy that's going to go to Kentucky and the other one's stuck here at a, uh, listen, Missouri State's a good school, but if you're a college basketball player, you're going to want to go to Kentucky, right? right? And so that I think that's where we are right now is Yachty's going to have different options than Wayno is. I don't know which one will be better, but I think they're going to be different options. And that's how you get to where I, I don't think it's going to be a package deal. And I don't I think it ever truly was going to be. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you want to get involved in the show, you guys can always get involved on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Coming up next, I think 2021 is a make or break year for a certain player for the Cardinals to be the player that they want him to be. I'll tell you what I mean by that. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. If all goes well with him, he's he's someone that could win a gold glove, and he is someone that we think can be, you know, an impact middle of the order hitter. Now, lots of things have to go right on that. I think the one thing you would like to see out of Paul is is consistency. You know, he's someone that when you ask me what I expect from him next year, it's it's to be a really good player. It's funny uh, listening to that. I forgot how it started in the quote. That was John Mosellock in his Zoom interview yesterday. He could have been talking about like five different players. <laughs> Pretty much everyone in the starting lineup. We think that he can be a gold glove defender, and we think that he can be a middle of the order bat. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Which Cardinals players was it possible that John Mosellock was referring to? <laughs> Obviously, he was talking about Paul DeYoung. That's why he said Paul there in the middle, but could, could have, have been, been Paul referring- Goldschmidt. Could have been Paul Goldschmidt. He could have also been talking about, uh, I think they could have said that about Tyler O'Neill. I think they could have said that about Dylan Carlson. I think maybe maybe that's not the case anymore for Harrison Bader. But at one point, I think he probably said something similar about Harrison Bader. But I do want to focus here on Paul DeYoung. I think this is a really, really big year for him. Not in that they're going to move on from him or anything like that. Paul DeYoung's an objectively good player. He's a good player that has been a quality major leaguer for the Cardinals since the moment that he walked into the big leagues, but he hasn't really made good on that first season since his first season in year one, Paul DeYoung started hundred games for the Cardinals. He hit 285 and slugged 530 with 25 homers that season. It was a, a, a really good year for Paul DeYoung finished the year with a 120 OPS plus, which is 20% above league average since then. Here's his OPS plus by year. Again, 100 is average. That's where you want to be a little above that if possible. Right. He was at 102 in 2018. He was at 99 in 2019. And last year, I know the COVID situation, he was at 84. So basically, he's been a league average major league hitter since the 2018 regular season. 
And it's very clear what's gone wrong. In the first half, he's a 785 OPS guy, which is really good for him a shortstop. That's that's like you're talking about the Javi Baez's of the world are kind of in that 780 to 800 OPS. Mm-hmm. The second half of 2018 and 2019, he was at 720 in 2018 and 730 OPS in 2019. He's hitting 230 and then 200 in the second half of those seasons, respectively. Paul DeYoung gets worn down. That's been the issue. We've talked about it time and time and time again. And Ferrario, as we look towards the 2021 offseason, so after next year, we've talked so much about the shortstop market that's waiting out there for all of these different clubs, right? I do wonder, now that we kind of take a step back and we look at the trade options that are out there, I wonder if the Cardinals are looking at this season as this is his last chance to prove to us that he's what we think he can be. He is that gold glove possibility at shortstop who can be a middle of the order bat. And if he makes good on that this year, maybe the Cardinals don't play in that shortstop market that we all want them to because they believe that Paul DeYoung, they already have that guy on the team for a much cheaper deal. If he's not that guy, though, this year, I think that's when these shortstops become a possibility for the Cardinals, especially with so much money coming off of the books. What's the contract situation for Paul DeYoung look like, though? Because didn't they just give him a big, long extension a couple of years ago? It's not It's not anything that would hinder them from moving him. Yeah, he's got... Yeah. So 2021, he's going to make $4 million. 22, it's $6 million. 23, it's $9 million. And then he has club options similar to what Colton Wong had on his contract, where it's $12.5 million in 2024 and 15 in 2025. So even if he has a year that they don't view as middle of the order player, I don't know if they would be willing to move on from him. I I wonder if they would still want Paul DeYoung and then dive into that shortstop market and adjust from there, maybe shift him to third base. Absolutely. I think he's going to be a part of the team regardless, but it's a question of what is his role. Right. Look, the intrigue on Paul DeYoung, one is his defense because the Cardinals are defensively minded and John Moselak said that they view him as a gold glove shortstop. But it's also the power. I mean, look, this guy has hit 35 home runs in a season for you. Like, he can be the power bat that you want him to be. The biggest issue with Paul DeYoung has always been fatigue. And I specifically remember having a conversation with him a few years ago in the clubhouse when he was being becoming an everyday shortstop. And he talked about how the offseason prior, it was focusing on making sure he was ready to go for a season, making sure he can sustain a 162-game schedule from what the Cardinals need him to be. That's going to be a hard thing to do this season if you have nobody to spell Paul DeYoung. Like, Paul DeYoung falls into the Yadier Molina category. I don't think he's demanding Mike Schilt to play him every day, but there's not a lot of options to sit him on the bench for, and if it's Paul DeYoung's choice, I want to be in the lineup because I want to play. But if you don't have the Tommy Edmond who can play shortstop and take a day off for Paul DeYoung... He's going to hit that plateau at some point and fall off in the second half. And you need him to be a 162 game player. Otherwise, he becomes a seven, eight, nine hole hitter rather than a four, five, six hole hitter. Yeah, I you mentioned the power and you're right. Like that's that was part of the draw, right? He had 30 home runs in a season. His first year, he hit 25 and 100 games and Cardinals fans were like, whoa, OK, we've got a real power bat that can play shortstop for us. Do you know where he ranks, though? among Cardinals players over the last three years. So since his rookie year after that Cardinals players over the last three years, in terms of his slugging percentage, how many guys do you think had a higher slugging percentage over the last three years than Paul DeYoung? I got to say at least, at least five guys, five guys, 
Yeah. Paul DeYoung, or excuse me, Paul Goldschmidt is number one on the Cardinals. Which which I'm okay with. Yeah, slugging percentage over the last three years. Marcelo Zuna was second. Makes sense. Tommy Edmond, surprisingly enough, was third. Matt Carpenter has a better slugging percentage over the last three years than Paul DeYoung does. And then Jose Martinez was fifth. The slugging percentage for Paul DeYoung is basically the exact same as the slugging percentage for Tyler O'Neill over the last three seasons. Don't tell people that. It just hasn't been what we were waiting for. Mm -hmm. And... There's an obvious explanation for this. This season, it was the COVID. The last two years before that, it was he got fatigued over the second half of the season. So in a lot of ways, it's actually the same explanation for those three seasons as to what went wrong. And that's why for twenty, for me, 2021 becomes so significant because if the Cardinals are going to upgrade this lineup for the long term, there's a clear position where they can do it. And there are guys that are available at that position. And it's shortstop. But if Paul DeYoung makes good on these, if he ends up being that 860 OPS guy that he was in his rookie year and ends up having 30 plus homers this upcoming season and is consistent from the first to the second half of the year and plays that gold gloves type of defense that you're talking about. Well, now you don't need those guys. You don't you don't need to go out into the market because now Paul DeYoung has become along with Dylan Carlson and Goldschmidt. He's that third bat that you need in the order. So I think if they still have this belief, and according to John Mosaylock, they clearly do, they don't have to go out there this offseason and trade for a shortstop. They don't need to go get Trevor Story. They don't need to go get the guy that I love and Francisco Lindor. Yeah. I would like to see it, but if they still have this belief that Paul DeYoung can revert back into this player, then I understand why they are going in that direction, even if I personally would prefer that they go make that big move now. Mo said something in reference to Carlos Martinez that I think applies to a lot of players for this upcoming season, which is what this transition year is. You know, he was talking about Carlos and saying, you know, he's not in the deserves a chance in that spot role anymore, meaning deserves a spot at that rotation. I think you can say the same for a Paul DeYoung, for a Tyler O'Neill, for a Harrison Bader going into next season saying he's not in that deserves a shot to start in that spot every day role. Because I think if Paul DeYoung doesn't live up to what they're hoping he is, then you do need somebody else who can play there because you do need another middle of the order bat. If Tyler O'Neill gets all of these shots to play left field and he doesn't live up to it, well, then he's done with the he deserves to be in left field role. I think that applies to a lot of guys including Paul DeYoung with this season that they're hoping to learn more about these players. Yeah, 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 618. So the question is, is Paul DeYoung an everyday player or is he a platoon guy? That kind of goes to what you were just talking about there, Ferrario. I don't think he's a platoon guy. I do think he's an everyday player. The question for me is more, where does he fit in that lineup, right? It's less about where does he play? He can be a shortstop and that's fine. And he can be an average hitter for you and you move forward, right? The thing is there's options out there to be that middle of the order bat, because that's what we've been talking about for seven years now. Where is the Cardinals middle of the order bat coming from? There's options out there and the clear upgrade could happen at shortstop. So you can move Paul DeYoung, whether it be to third or to second, and you figure it out defensively. Um, But the question really is in the lineup, where does he go? I think he's an everyday player for you. I think he's going to be with the Cardinals for the long term. And it's just a matter of, okay, where does that bat fit into the order? Yeah, it comes down to, is this guy going to be a difference maker for us moving forward, or is he a complimentary piece? And I think that's what the season shows. 2021 is where that, it's it's a make or break year for Paul DeYoung to be a middle of the order bat. 
that that's what this season is all about. It's twelve fourteen. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, our guy Joey Vitale is going to join the show. What did he make of the Blues' potential division being on the Pacific Coast? We'll talk about that with Joey Vitale when he joins us next on one hundred and one ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on one hundred and one ESPN. Brandon Kylie at BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Excited to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, joining us here on the show. Joey, I hope you're excited for some late nights this year. How you doing, man? BK, hey, doing great, man. A big shout out to Alex. I heard the first intro right there. Uh, my man getting the call up. I love seeing you guys together. You guys have already done a great job working with Rivs and super happy for Rivs as well. And looking forward to talking to you two both as this continues but yeah looking forward to some some late nights for sure man but yeah i'm doing i'm doing well how are you guys doing today well good joe but i don't believe you when you say you're looking forward to late nights because we did it for what five games six games against vancouver and uh, i was in that centene studio with you they weren't fun hey listen man ain't, ain't, ain't no one gonna break my stride ain't no one gonna slow me down uh <laughs> today i'm gonna tell you why because i just found out that they can scan for prostate cancer through blood work now, you guys wait. Know what this? wait, wait, wait. So no more fingers? So I'm good? Okay. I don't have to worry about that. My doctor says to me the other day, he says, Joe, I say, what's going on? He goes, you know, you're hitting 35 here. Pretty soon we should probably get your prostate checked out. I said, whoa, 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 doc. <laughs> well, well, uh, I heard it's not till 40. He goes, no, with the running in your family, you probably should get it checked out. So here I am kind of getting nervous, doing all this thing. And he goes, whoa, 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 bro, pull up your pants. This isn't how it works anymore. You just go and get your blood test, and they test for engines and the PSA numbers, and you're good to go. So I tell you what, yeah, late nights, but I'm excited. Nothing can get me down today. I found out you can figure out this prostate thing through blood work. Good stuff, gentlemen. <laughs> nothing can get you down, and nothing goes up. That's a good thing, Joe. That's a good thing. Uh, let me ask you about that division, though, because I think a lot of people are frustrated because, of course, they're in this Pacific division, so-called. And, again, it's not, it's not written in stone right now. It could still change. But how do you see this fairing for the Blues playing in a, a division now with Colorado, Dallas, Vegas, of course, difficult teams, but Anaheim, L.A., and San Jose, which also always seem to give the Blues trouble? Listen, we got hosed. I think we got hosed. Uh, I understand why it happened and understand how it happened. It had to be between it was 50% shot. It was us in Minnesota. Right. The way this country is laid out, it came down to Minnesota. It came down to St. Louis. One team have to go west. One team would have to travel two time zones. One team would have uh, their home home fans be viewing a game at 9 o'clock at night. And it just, unfortunately, is going to be for us. It sucks for the fans. I, I get that. Uh, you know, Alex, uh, I'm going to go a little step further. And I'm going to say this. I think it's unfortunate for the Blues team, for the teams you just mentioned. I think competitive-wise, from the competition, if you're looking at the West versus East-South division, I feel, in my heart of hearts, and this is just based off of last year and kind of how these teams are built. We'll see what happens this year. But I feel as of right now, what we know about the teams in both divisions, I think the Blues are going to have a harder time in this West. Now, I may be proven wrong. I know a lot of Blues players are excited about the West. I think they like the, their, their prospects of L.A. Uh, going to Anaheim. They like how they play San Jose. I mean, those three California teams itself, they've done very well against. The ones that scare me, of course, the Colorado and the Vegas juggernauts. Dallas is always a competitive team. And those doggone Yotes, man, they never yeah. just go away, right? So that's what makes me a little bit nervous about this West. I think they'd have more success on every given night if they did go to the Florida and they went to the Carolinas and the Nashvilles, who we've handled pretty well over the last couple of years. So um, 
at the end of the day, I think we got hosed a little bit. But you know what? It's the team's philosophy. Whether you get hosed, you just hand pass, doesn't matter. We just keep on moving, get the pieces together. They got the character, they got the group, they got the coaching, everything moving forward. They got the right broadcasters, right? They got everything. <laughs> Amen, they everything brother. They need to, to move forward in the right direction. So it is what it is, and I'm just excited that we start are starting to have some divisional talk. And uh, hopefully 56 wonderful games look forward to soon. And of course, the the broadcasters really are the most important part of everything that they've got going forward. He's Blues Analyst for 101 ESPN. Joey Vitale joining us here on the show. Joey, if I looked at it, though, like this is a one off, right? And so if I looked at it as previously, the Blues were going to be in a division with Colorado, Dallas, Nashville, Winnipeg and Minnesota. That was supposed to be the typical central, right? And now you're looking at what it's going to be. And you've got Anaheim, Arizona, L.A., San Jose and Vegas. I actually think there's a case to be made that this is not significantly easier, but an easier division to come out of than what would typically be the case in the central. Would you agree with that assessment of it? I think it's really close, BK, because I looked at that, too, because I was kind of thinking, like, are we in a really worse spot off if it was a normal season? And I, and I think it's really close. I mean, Minnesota, we've done pretty well against over the last couple of seasons, but they're always just that scary, heavy team you just never know about. Nashville is so hot or cold. They're so hit or miss. Um, and then, of course, you look at Chicago, who the Blues have handled very well the last couple of seasons and will continue to handle pretty well as everything moves forward. So just at those teams right there, again, yeah, you look at a Chicago team that's kind of weak, Nashville team, could potentially become kind of weak in Minnesota hasn't been very good. So for those reasons, I, I still think that this is going to be a tougher road to the playoffs than the blues have had to deal with in the past. Yes. I know you have the central, the, the, the big dogs of Dallas and Winnipeg. You got to handle all those guys, but now I'm just looking at geez, how Vegas is built, especially with Petrangelo going there. The, the two, probably the one, two best goaltender punch. I think in the national hockey league with, with flurry and Robin Leonard, over there, you look at how stacked they are on the offense. Colorado, I think, is the best team on paper heading into this season. I think they are going to be the biggest threat to the St. Louis Blues and every team in this division and throughout the entire country whenever it comes down to that in playoffs. So I, I just think that there is, there's a lot to be said. I know California teams are the California teams, but they're still heavy. They still got the Browns. They got the Copatars. They got the kind of character that you never know. They could steal one or two away from the Blues throughout these seven-game stretches. So I just... Again, I, I hope I'm wrong, but this is I think the Blues really do have their work cut out for them. And not to mention, guys, aside from the talent, I mean, just you know, jumping two time zones, it, it's never easy. It's never very fun. you got to leave really early in the morning before the game, not in the afternoon. you got to get there. Your body's got to get adjusted, right? You're, you're not really in the right, right sink of things. But luckily, I think the fact that they're going to be playing three, four games in a row, maybe potentially against the same team, that could tr- hopefully try to work out those cobwebs where maybe it's not as a big of an impact as we're just going to Dallas or Anaheim and just playing one game. But I tell you what, there's a lot of great storylines. I know it's a crazy division. I love all the Canadian teams playing each other. And just think, guys, I mean, at the end of the day, I was talking to Curbs about this the other night, and he brought up a good point. In the Stanley Cup final, we could see two Eastern Conference teams or two Western Conference teams, but it could be really cool. Wow, I didn't even think of that one. That's incredible to actually talk about with the Stanley Cup championship. So, Joe, uh, you, you you talked about the difficulty in moving around, and the NHL has posed the idea of expanding the roster. I'm curious, looking at all of these names with an expanded roster, of course you have the natural Blues players, but then you got some of these other guys like a Clint Costin and Austin Pogansky. Um, who do you think is going to benefit from this expanded roster on the St. Louis Blues style when it comes to maybe seeing more playing time and maybe getting that opportunity to bust through and be an everyday NHL player. You know, Alex, we'll see if I'm right or wrong on this. I have a feeling. I have a feeling. It's just a feeling. I mean, I've talked to a couple guys about this, but nothing really reassuring just yet. But my gut is telling me that I don't think they're going to have a lot of players at camp. 
I think they're going to be limited to about 24 to 26 ish players. I don't think you're going to see a big camp. I don't think you're going to see a lot of young players come in and try to like make their, make their, uh, their stand as far as why they belong here. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be a Sammy Blaze situation of a couple of years ago. You're not going to have those second, third, fourth layer of guys wanting to make an impact in camp. I just don't think for a number of reasons, for health reasons, for the safety of the team, it's the safety of the core group in hand. I just think they're going to keep the numbers very, very low. So I don't expect to see a lot of guys. One player I'm really, I continue to be intrigued with is Clint Costin. I thought we saw really good spurts of him last year. I'm excited to see him here in camp and what he can do uh, in, in the big club up top. We're talking with Joey Vitale here on 101 ESPN. The other question that I had for you, Joe, is what you talked about earlier with these basically baseball style series. You mentioned how it's going to be a little different with that. As a as a former player yourself, I would love to get your perspective. What do you think of this? And do you think that maybe just maybe the the NHL would consider going to this a little bit more in the future if it goes well? You know, I think so. I think I think everything could be looked at. Uh, when the season's over, BK, and say, you know, this worked really well. This this worked terribly. We'll never do that again. And I, I think for every reason in the world, it, we we could see a, a different divisional setup moving forward from here on out. Uh, as a player, uh, I would like it in the sense where it limits your travel, right? So before the Blues would go to San Jose, then they go to Anaheim. Then they come then they come through L.A. and they get out of there, right? You play every team once and boom, you're gone. It's a lot of travel. It's a lot of in-and-out hotels. This is more of a consistent hotel. You're in one spot for, let's say, five nights. You're going to play the L.A. Kings three or four times, and then boom, you're going to be out of there. I think players are really going to like it, especially guys, especially I know, I know I've kind of dogged this West a little bit as far as the competition goes because I think the Blues are going to be, uh, have a harder time. But keep in mind, they're going to be in these cities, to your point, BK, for a longer time playing the same team. That's going to be great, but also we're going to have better weather. We're going to have better weather out West, which I think these Blues team, like like every team, is probably really going to applaud and love the fact that you have all the California teams. you got beautiful Arizona. you got, of course, Dallas. you got Vegas, which is gorgeous as well. So hopefully, hopefully that'll help the Blues kind of get through the winter blues. If, if, you, if you don't mind <laughs> nice. be there. See, I did there. We call that old play on words, the old radio one-on-one. Um, so I think that they're, they're going to be excited for that. And, and I think that this is going to add some really good competition to, to the game, to these teams. Uh, for example, BK, I love where the Vegas blues rivalry is kind of trending. We were starting to see it more and more in the last couple of seasons. And I really love the fact that Petrangelo is there now. I think that's just going to really intensify this. Free. So you're going to go to Vegas and you're going to play them three times in a row. Are you kidding me? I mean, fireworks are going to start exploding. The only thing I wish could be, be done would be fans, of course. And, and I have a funny feeling that Petro's loving this setup with no yeah. fans right now because he's going to get a pass for the first year when he comes to St. Louis. And the other thing, Joe, it, like in a typical season, obviously this won't be the case during a pandemic, but I would imagine that the Blues players would very much enjoy going to Vegas for five days. Hell yeah. Yeah, you know what? I feel like they could find a thing or two or two. Do you yeah, think the broadcasters sure. could find a thing or two to do? <laughs> listen, listen, I, I am a man of the booth. I, I get to my hotel, I go to bed, I wake up, I call a great game, and I get the heck home, BK, so I don't know what you're talking about. That's not true. I don't believe that at all, Joey V. Also, by the way, less prostate exams mean you're a lot more clever with those puns that you just had. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still on a really big high right now because you can find out about prostate cancer through blood work, people. You know, my dad My dad keeps getting nervous about getting his prostate checked every year. I don't think, he, I don't think his doctors told him well, what's going on in the world. You know, I, I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to leave it alone. Well, they didn't tell you until you pulled your pants down, so maybe yeah, that's where it comes. on you as well, apparently. <laughs> okay, well, let me be honest with you. I didn't pull them all the way down. I started doing the unbuckles. Like, whoa, 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 speed racer. Where are you going there, big kid rock? Hold on a minute. I'm like, oh, oh, we don't, we don't do it like this? Like, absolutely not. We get blood work. All right, well, that's cool. <laughs> Joey, always appreciate the time, my man. We look forward to it each and every week on Thursdays, having you on. All the best to you and the family. We'll talk with you again next week. 
BK and Ferrari. I got sound. Although I, I kind of got uh, Ferrari BK show kind of sticking out a little bit. It sounds sounds cleaner. Maybe uh, you guys should think about switching that. Joey, Joey, that's, Joey, Joe. That might be the brightest thing you've ever said, buddy. Joey, see you boys, see you boys. <laughs> see ya, that's Joe Tally joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate him hopping on with us. He mentioned Clem Costin mm-hmm. as one of the guys that he is very interested to see what he does for the Blues this upcoming year, especially with the expanded rosters. I, have you seen what he's done in the KHL? Yeah. So he's played 18 games in the KHL. He's over back in Russia Mm -hmm. right now. And in those 18 games, he has two points and zero goals. I'll say this, though. This is a guy who was great in the KHL and then came to the North America, came to North America to get acclimated to that style of hockey. And he just went back to the KHL. Don't take too much stock into what he's doing there. But. I'd like to see more than zero. I, I do. <laughs> I do know for a fact that a lot of the people in the Blues organization feel he's going in the opposite direction that they were hoping for. But as Bobby Plager always says, you have to be noticeable in NHL games. And I go back to those games that he played last season. I called the game that he scored the goal on. He was about as noticeable as you can make a player noticeable playing on the fourth line. He's going to get a shot, but I think this is a make-or-break year for Clem Costin in terms of Blues. Is his upside now fourth-line player that ends up giving you some nice minutes? I think his upside... That's what the goal is. I think his upside's third-line player with the possibility of giving you 10 to 15 goals. Okay. He's not a first-line guy like he was when you drafted him. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is... BK and Ferrario, regardless of what Joey Vitale has to say here on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals sound like they're perfectly fine with their pitching staff minus Adam Wainwright. What does that mean for them next year? And what should we expect from Matthew Libertor and Zach Thompson? We'll tell you coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Look, we have a lot of guys that would like to compete for starters. So you know, we're going to have to probably make some quicker decisions on some versus others. But um, definitely he should be preparing to, to pitch innings as a starter. That was John Mosellock yesterday talking about Alex Reyes potentially getting starting opportunities next year. We've talked a lot about this, Ferrari. What do the Cardinals do in the rotation if... They do not bring Adam Wayne right back. If he's back, it's pretty self-explanatory, right? You're going to have Flaherty. You're going to have KK, Michaelis, Wayno, And then there's one more spot there remaining that could potentially be up for grabs. Without him in the mix, you've got a couple of spots. I would think Gomber is going to get one of them. And then it's an open competition for that fifth spot there for you. I think Alex Reyes is going to be one of the contenders. John Mosellock did have one other player that he talked about yesterday on the Zoom call that I think is going to be a contender for that role but a year ago the tu- the tune of the way that the cardinals were talking about this player was a heck of a lot different than it is now look he has to come in and earn a spot we, we have a very competitive potentially our, our rotation being very competitive given all the different arms that would like to start you know right now we've guaranteed nothing and uh hopefully he's taking advantage of his offseason Avoiding videos when he when it comes time to get to Jupiter, he's ready to compete. Of course, he's talking about Carlos Martinez there. The tune has changed. Suddenly, last year it was, we're going to give him every opportunity to start. We are going to have him coming into camp expecting him to be in our starting rotation. And then despite all of the things that went wrong for Carlos Martinez, all of the setbacks that we saw, the entire year it was about how they can get him back into the rotation. 
That's not how John Mosellock sounds when he's talking about Carlos this time around. I right now think it is actually more likely than not that Carlos does not start for the Cardinals next year. I agree with that. Maybe it's a little tinfoil Ferrario, which I don't have the music keyed up, but you know, like Mo talked an awful lot about you know evaluating the trade market and seeing what's out there. Nothing imminent, but he has talked about looking at that. I think Carlos is that guy that they're looking to trade market for. And we've he's been connected to Boston. I just don't know if the Cardinals have found the right move that makes sense because he talked about they're not just going to offset a player for nothing in return. But look, with Carlos Martinez... He should be in that category. He shouldn't be looked at as a, as a guy that deserves to be a starter because, frankly, he hasn't proved anything for you. He's proved that he can be a reliable bullpen pitcher, which reliable, I use that word really loosely when he comes out of the bullpen because he still makes you nervous. But look, you have Austin Gomber who deserves a shot more than Carlos Martinez and has proven it. You have Ponce de Leon who deserves a shot and has proven it. Alex Reyes proved it last year if he can stay healthy. You go down the list, Johan Oviedo, John Gant. I mean, you can even throw a Zach Thompson, a Matthew Levator's name into this conversation right now. All of these guys have shown that they deserve this opportunity more than Carlos Martinez. And from the tone of John Mosellock, it's... This guy can be an asset for us, but he in no way, shape, or form has the demand anymore on our organization. He's a guy that's going to do what we feel is best for our team. Yeah, he has no leverage anymore. Never. I think that, and this is why I do think this conversation is important, because the Cardinals made it very clear that last year was kind of his one last shot, and it didn't go as Carlos Martinez or any Cardinals fans would have hoped for Carlos. And so they seem to be sticking with that theme, and now next year... if he comes in and dominates, looks amazing, he'll probably be in the rotation. He should be. If he doesn't, though, he's not going to be guaranteed that spot. That's what 2021 is about for a half dozen players on this team. Yeah. Carlos Martinez's situation going into 2020 is now Tyler O'Neill's spot going into next year. It's, uh, as we talked about earlier, Paul DeYoung's spot, not for starting for the Cardinals, but for being considered a middle-of-the-order bat. He needs to make good on that this year, or he's no longer going to be considered that for the Cardinals moving forward. I think Tommy Edmond for being an everyday player, this is his opportunity to become that. I think you're going to see that from Harrison Bader. Are you a platoon guy or are you an actual starting center fielder every day? This is his last opportunity to really prove that Mm -hmm. there are a lot of guys, Austin Gomber, you mentioned him. This is his shot to really become a starting pitcher for the Cardinals next year. They've got a lot of guys and we've called it a transition year. You can call it an evaluation period, call it whatever you would like in terms of the label that are kind of at the back end of being considered prospects. Now, now it's about, okay, what are you as a player in the big leagues? Not what can you be? What are you for us now? Let's evaluate those guys, find out what the answers to those questions are. And once we know those answers, it's a lot easier to make the decisions of, okay, what do we need around them? Harrison Bader. Okay. He's a platoon guy. He's going to play against lefties. He's going to sit against righties. That's fine. Now we need to find a guy that can play against righties for us in center field. Okay. Paul DeYoung, not going to be a middle of the order hitter. He's going to be a six or a seven hole guy for us now. That's fine. How do we find that other middle of the order bat? Now we need to go address that situation. Tommy Edmond. Okay. A really good guy. That's going to be able to be a, a super utility player for us. Can play second, third, short in a pinch can play in the outfield. Probably not an everyday player at one base. That's fine. But now we need to find a second baseman moving forward. That's what this upcoming season is going to be for the Cardinals. And I think if if this is the so-called transition year that we all talk about, the Cardinals will never label it that. But if that's what we're looking at, 
you have to look at each area that you're going to go into the year that you're hoping to compete, and that's pitching. Let's look at pitching. Dakota Hudson will hopefully be back. Miles Michaelis will be back to his normal self. Well, you got your one through three right there in Flaherty, Hudson, and Michaelis. You got to round out that rotation to be effective. And you have a Kwang Young Kim who looks like he's very reliable, but he's going to be a free agent. You have to find out who these guys are that are going to be effective. And frankly, you're at the point now with Carlos, you're riding out the wave until you can get to free agency with him, right? It's the same as Carpenter and Fowler. So that's why Ponce, Gomber, and Reyes, in my opinion, are the top three names that you need to find out who they are, like you just talked about. Because if those three can be effective rotation pitchers, well, guess what you just did? You added more depth to your bullpen because you're giving opportunities to other guys like a Levator, Thompson, Oviedo. You're strengthening your rotation, and now you have more money to spend on offense that, frankly, you don't have the in-house options to upgrade at. So it all kind of trickles down, but it all comes back to that pitching, and it comes back to Carlos to where you say, hey, we got other guys that deserve more options and opportunities than you right now, and that's the route we're going to go. It's kind of why I would like to see uh, Montero play at third base next year. Let's find out what he don't is. Don't disagree. Yeah. Let's find out what he's got for this Cardinals team. If he, if he is ready, I don't know if he is or not, but if he's ready, let's see what he's got instead of finding out what Matt Carpenter can do again at the what is probably the last year of him being in St. Louis. Or, or you know what? It's second base with Montero because I think the biggest gripe with Montero is he doesn't have the arm strength to be an everyday third baseman. At least that's what I've heard. So if that's the case, then you got Tommy Edmond who can platoon at third base with Matt Carpenter and move him around. And give this Montero a shot because if this guy's got a bat like Justin Williams' bat, well, guess what? You just helped yourself by giving opportunities yeah, to these maybe guys. Maybe the answer comes in in the affirmative and you feel good about it moving forward. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't, and okay, that's fine. Now we know the answer on Montero. Cross the name right? off you the can list. Cross that off. But it's the same uh, conversation that you were just saying with the rotation. If 2022 is the season that they're targeting to actually really, really be competitive again. Next year, you very well may win the division, but we all know probably not a world series season, right? But 2022, your rotation right now probably looks like Flaherty Hudson, Michaelis. And then the question is, who's your four or five? Who is the back end of that rotation? I think one of them will be Liberator or Thompson. And then I think the other spots probably going to come from the group of Gomber, Ponce and Reyes. So you've got five options for two spots at the back end of your rotation. Maybe the other guys are trade bait. Maybe the other guys end up becoming key pieces to your bullpen. I'm not sure what happens with them, but that's what this year should be. You should be finding out what Gomber, Ponce, and Reyes can be as starters. And in the minors, you need to get some answers on Liberator and Thompson. Last thing that I want to play for you from John Mosellock's presser yesterday. It doesn't sound to me like we should expect either of those two to give significant innings to the Cardinals in the big leagues this upcoming year. I mean, the likelihood is he'll break probably with double A, probably pitch at triple A and wouldn't shock you if he even saw him in the big leagues at some point. So, um, you know, he had a nice alternate camp, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a, again, another hard place to judge. And that was John Mosellock talking specifically about Matthew Liberatore and what his role is going to be. It, it sounds like in a best case scenario, 
He's up for like the September call-ups. I think that's probably what you're looking at for him. And his ETA, when we should expect him to be in the in the big leagues, probably 2020. Sounds a lot like what Lance Lynn was in 2011, where you called him up, you had him in your bullpen, and if he's effective in the postseason, he makes your roster. Absolutely. And then the following year, that's where Rotation. you start expecting something bigger from him. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're going to be joined by Ben Heisler coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer. All right, Ferrario. I was looking around on Twitter the other day and our friend tweeted at us, said, hey, I think I've got a topic for you guys to talk about today. In the junk drawer, it was, of course, coming from Sharon. Oh, yeah. I click on the link. I decided, okay, yes, this is definitely something that we can Which, discuss. by the way, is always a dangerous thing when you click on links. Like, Jamie Rivers sends us links, and it usually yeah, sidetracks well, that, us other places. That's something different entirely. So thank you, Sharon, for giving us a normal link. So the link that I clicked was an ABC News story about a gentleman who practices a technique called Iron Crotch. Nice. Now, this gentleman is 65 years old. Uh, he is apparently a kung fu master. The famous technique involves a steel plate capped log that is two meters in length and weighs roughly 90 pounds that quote swings through the air and smashes into a man's crotch. Nice. Genius. I've got some follow-up questions. Genius. As you can probably imagine. So apparently there were once upon a time about 200 people that regularly practiced this technique. I okay. say technique very loosely. Uh, it is down to just five individuals. I can't because imagine Because the rest have, have died from loss of, we all know. I, I think my biggest question about the Iron Crotch Kung Fu is as simple as what would make one be interested in becoming a part of this Iron Crotch Kung Fu? Because if I told you that somebody was able to take a log to their crotch and not be affected, <laughs> what would you say? I would say I'm not interested. I would say that guy is a badass, right? No. Yeah. That guy has an iron crotch. He cannot be hurt. What's the weak spot on a person if you were in a fight, BK? Which I know if you were in a fight. Yeah, it wouldn't happen, first okay, of but all. Let's say uh, it would have been poorly for me. The weak spot on me is literally my entire body. Okay, so. but let's say a human. <laughs> let's say someone insulted Kara and you had to defend her honor. Well, I if hope the, that I've got somebody with me that can do it. If the man on the other side had a weak spot, where would it be? Yeah, it's in the crotch. Not if you have an iron crotch. <laughs> Right? That's right. I, you're right. Um, However, like, what do you think the first, if if I get into the iron crotch kung fu, right? (laughs) If I decided for God knows what reason. That's that's a great scenario I'm thinking about right now. I decided to get involved in uh, training for the iron crotch Olympics. Okay. Let's say this became an Olympic event, which. Can't wait. God bless it. It very much should. Um. What do you think that first swing goes like as this log that is swinging through the air that weighs 90 pounds and is six feet in length comes swinging towards my crotch? What do you think that first opportunity is like? That's what she said. I had to on that one with the description. Well, it depends. How much how much prep have you gotten in? Like, have you done this before? Have you taken that log to the no, crotch? There's got to be a first time, right? Everybody's got a first so this time is it. doing you it. You walked up. Yeah, you would pass out. I would pass out. Like there would be no, there would be no survival. But look, 
if if we all want to be kung fu masters, what is the training for this? Logs to the crotch. Pretty much everything to the crotch. You know how boxers work out their abs with those medicine balls? You know, they're sitting up, they're doing crunches, and they're throwing them at their gut? That's this just with logs to the crotch. I'm just wondering, like, what is the... Like for football, right? You see these receivers that sometimes they're doing these weird techniques where they're catching like tennis balls, right? And mm-hmm. so it's just helping with their hand-eye coordination. Uh, we've seen the way that Ryan O'Reilly trains for hockey where he's like stepping over a, a log, right. essentially. And he's like, do, it, it's crazy some of the stuff that he does. Um, I would be very interested to find out because this is already a very crazy technique in general. The sport itself is insanity. What in the world are the building blocks to get to this point? Well, I would imagine the first one is someone just throwing like a tennis ball at your uh, your, your gonads, which that's, that's the first step. The next one is probably hiring uh, someone to kick you there to see how you can handle that. And then you slowly progress your way up into a uh, into a a tree trunk. Right. That's how you get there. I guess. Okay. God bless this gentleman, 65 years old and just dominating in the iron crotch kung fu. We all want to be what a master. Uh, we all want to be masters at that. Well, look, the one thing I think everyone wants is to be masters in living in an area that is uh, safe, correct? Like you want to live in a city that is safe. Well, St. Louis might not fall into that category, BK, because a list came out the other I find day. St. Louis to be very safe. I do too, but apparently I'm not going to these areas. Maybe Jamie Rivers would know more about this. But they went through a list of the seven deadly sins. We all know okay. what those are. And they put each city in how they rank in those seven deadly sins. So BK, I'm gonna I'm gonna list these off for you and you tell me which one you think St. Louis falls under. Okay. Okay? And this is number one in, not top five, number one in. What's number Louis? one in one of these categories? Yeah. Well, in a couple, unfortunately. Oh, really? Okay, so wrath. Wrath would be the first one, based on violent crimes, shootings. I don't think St. Louis is number one in this. You don't think St. Louis is number one? No. St. Louis is number one in Wraith, or Wrath, Wraith. That's not it. So number one for St. Louis there. Jealousy, based on things like fraud, identity theft. No, St. Louis is too happy to have that. St. Louis is too happy to have that. That's not true. Fort Lauderdale apparently is uh, That makes a lot of sense, actually. Florida man. Identity theft, a lot of retirements, and people getting eaten by alligators. It makes a lot of sense. Number three, gluttony. Things like obesity rates, binge drinking, and drug use. Right now, <laughs> I feel like that could potentially be any city in America. <laughs> that certainly true. applies to my uh, indulgences. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I'm going to say that it is not St. Louis right now. My hometown of Kansas City probably ranks higher. St. Louis is number one on that one. What? St. Louis is number one on gluttony. Greed, based on things like casinos, low charity numbers. No, we're too charitable for that. That's a true. Jackson, we Mississippi. We just found that out with Adam Wainwright the other day. Which I didn't know that Jackson, Mississippi must have a lot of casinos. Okay, a couple more. Lust, strip clubs per capita, and porn searches. That feels very Vegasy. so I would imagine that that is not St. Louis. It's not St. Louis. It's L.A. Okay. Which surprises me, that. but yeah. I guess, you know, Los Angeles, California. Okay, two more. Vanity. Uh, tanning salons, plastic surgery. That feels like Arizona to That's me. That's California. San okay, Diego gets that one. And then sloth, exercise rates and average work hours. So kind of like obesity. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go. Let's see here. Got to be in the south, right? I'm going to say Mississippi once again. More like the Midwest. St. Louis got that one what? also. So what occur- is going on? So apparently with all of these, the top five of, of worst cities, Vegas, L.A., St. Louis, Houston, and Atlanta, for all of these seven deadly sins, 
but at least we're not Vegas because Vegas is number one. I feel like that's a good thing. This is a good list to be on, yeah, right? Right. Unfortunately, we got all the bad ones. Technically, <laughs> we're number three on this top five, but yeah, we fell into a couple of really bad categories, which isn't fun to be in. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line. The text line is not being nice to me. What'd they do now? From the 314. If BK tried to get involved in this technique, it would he's assuming right now that the log would be able to find BK's crotch. From the 937. T-Bone, stop hitting that button. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Same concept here. From the 636, BK, this should be your new training instead of going on runs every day. That's a great idea. Maybe we should try a video of this. No. Yeah. To see who can handle the iron crotch uh, tactic. I got shot in the ass yesterday or Monday. How'd that feel? Uh, not great. Okay, well, make your crotch just as strong as your ass, BK. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, there's some interesting, uh, interesting match fell this weekend, including. The Miami Dolphins taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. What does Ben Heisler think about that matchup? We'll ask him when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 105. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line for our weekly visit with... Ben Heisler. He is a Sports Illustrated sports betting analyst. You can follow him on Twitter at Benny Heis. Heis, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? BK, Ferrario, what's happening, guys? It's uh, it's good to talk to you. It uh, feels a little bit weird that I prepared for a segment without getting random pick'em picks <laughs> from uh, from Jamie Rivers, but uh, excited as always to be here. Oh, oh, no, that's going to happen now, Heis, because <laughs> BK just got shot in the ass earlier this week, so that we're probably going to go through every game to get the pick for. Yeah, I wish that wasn't the case, but it absolutely was. I was not asked if I wanted to be involved in the uh, Fast Lane Rizzuto <laughs> Show Pick'em Challenge. I ended up being on the team because because obviously there were some changes that were made at the station. I was called up, and my first week I had the worst score of anybody <laughs> on the roster. So things are going well, Heiss. How you doing? <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Well, hopefully we can we can turn things around. All is well over here. It's, uh, it's nice to have like, some beautiful weather. It kind of feels like it tricks your brain a little bit. And then, of course, it's going to be rainy and gross in the next couple days. Right, absolutely. So that's, that's how things go 2020, here. 2020, man. All right, Heiss, let's start with this game tonight. Patriots versus the Rams. Patriots just had the unbelievable defensive and special teams performance against the Chargers young quarterback going up against Bill Belichick wasn't all that stunning but we've seen what Bill Belichick has also done in the past to Jared Goff this feels like an easy game to pick and it should be the Rams that win it but do we give any headway to Bill Belichick and putting together a good defensive game plan that frustrates Jared Goff and him having another one of those Jared Goff like games of course because we've seen it throughout the season where Jared Goff can go on the road and put up a really impressive performance like we saw last week against Arizona or throughout the course of the season and then come back at home in a favorable matchup and still just completely look lost and and not have any idea what's going on, no rhythm in the course of the offense. I think what should help him out tonight is there has been a commitment to the Rams running game. You just don't know which guy it's going to be week in and week out. The last couple of weeks, we've seen the emergence of Cam Akers, who has gotten a ton of carries and a bunch of volume inside the five, and he's delivered with back-to-back touchdowns 
in the last couple of games. I think that's going to be what helps the Rams out a lot. It's going to open up the play-action game against the Patriots because uh, if you make Jared Goff into a sitting duck against the Bill Belichick defense, it's not going to bode well. He's going to turn the ball over multiple times. I think you'll see more of a commitment really on both sides to the running game. Damian Harris is in line for a solid workload. That's been an area that the Rams, despite how good their defense has been, has struggled. And also you have Jalen Ramsey on the other side who's going to go ahead and neutralize Jacoby Myers. I just don't know who Cam is going to throw the ball to. So it's going to be a lot of running. I like the low uh, under 44 and a half in this game. And I do think the Rams can still sneak out a win because they are the superior team. Uh, but I expect it to be a very close game. And if you're looking from at it from the standpoint of against the spread, I do think the Patriots cover that five and a half. Hi, so what the hell do we do with this NFC East division? Because now <laughs> these teams are actually pretty decent. I mean, we, we saw the Giants pick up a victory against the Seahawks. The football Washington football team beats the Steelers. And this week, you got those two teams in some favorable matchups for the NFC East to pick. And then you got Jalen Hurts as the quarterback against the Saints. So what do we do with this week in picking against the NFC East? Well, I would go against your theory that the NFC East is starting to look good. You can make an <laughs> argument that a couple of the teams are starting to look competent. And certainly the Giants getting a pretty impressive road win up against Seattle and completely taking out Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, uh, and the rest of the Seattle offense, that was jarring to watch. And I think you'll see them bounce back in a big way at home against the Jets this week. Uh, and then Washington with an absolute stunner going up against Pittsburgh. And I don't know if it was necessarily a stunner to, to people who are following this game and the, the information all week because the Steelers were coming off a short week. Ben Roethlisberger as an older quarterback in a shorter amount of time to turn things around. Plus Washington's defense really improving over the last several weeks. I think a lot of us might have seen the writing on the wall. I don't know if they would have thought that they would win outright, but they've been really impressive. Um, as far as Dallas goes and, and the Eagles, I think it's a lost cause. I, I know that Jalen Hurts might provide some sort of a spark, but the Saints defense since week four of the NFL season has been terrific. They've done a really good job at slowing down quarterbacks, especially a running game where their defense has generated a lot of pressure. Uh, he's going to look more competent than Carson Wentz because Carson Wentz is broken, but I don't expect the Eagles to, to pull off an upset here. Uh, and then as far as Dallas goes, the only reason that they might be in line to win and they're favored by three and a half is because they're going up against one of the worst defenses in the NFL in Cincinnati. They still have Brandon Allen starting for them. And I actually think you'll see some points scored on both sides uh, in the Andy Dalton revenge game going up to Seattle. I know that's, that's what the NFL gets really excited for <laughs> the Andy Dalton revenge game. Uh, but I, I do think Dallas should end up winning that game. And I think you'll see uh, it be somewhat of an offensive shootout because of how bad both of the defense as a follow-up on the NFC East question. We're talking with Benny Heist, Ben Heisler. He's with sports illustrated. He's our sports betting analyst and fantasy football analyst. You can find his work over on sports illustrated. The Cardinals are playing the giants this weekend. And Heist, this should be an easy pick. It should be the Cardinals. The Cardinals at one point had a guy that I thought was going to be an MVP candidate in Kyler Murray. They have clearly the better quarterback. I thought at one point had a solid defense as well, but things have just crumbled for them in recent weeks, and the Giants are going in the opposite direction. How concerned should I be about the Cardinals and their risk of potentially even losing this game against the Giants? I think there's very much reason to be concerned. I also think the NFL can be very week to week, and I think this could be an ideal spot for the Cardinals to bounce back. Now, a lot of the numbers would likely indicate that that may not be the case, considering it's a West Coast team traveling out to the East Coast for an early start based on how good the Giants are, how they're healthy at the right time at every position except quarterback. 
but at the same time, you know, Kyler Murray is dealing with a bit of an injury himself, mm-hmm. and he didn't look 100% last week. Uh, I thought it was positive to see more of DeAndre Hopkins get involved in the mix the last few weeks. I think he had seen less than seven targets, and that's never a good sign considering the type of weapon that he can be. Um, but guys like James Bradbury with the Giants have had a really solid year. And, and again, if Hopkins can go off against Jalen Ramsey last week, I don't know if James Bradbury is necessarily going to slow him down. So I think it is a good spot for the Cardinals to possibly bounce back, assuming that Kyler Murray is starting to feel closer to 100%. We'll keep an eye on the injury reports throughout the course of the week. But again, I, I think this is one of those spots. The Giants are probably feeling themselves a little bit there. You know, they're on a several game winning streak and Arizona kind of seems like they're going in the opposite direction. If you believe in the talent, if you believe that Arizona is still going to try and make a push for the playoffs, I think this is an opportunistic spot to jump back on them, considering that everybody is riding high on the Giants right now. All right, Benny, uh, a game that is giving me some some pause in terms of our pick'em challenge is the Vikings and Buccaneers, because my gut says that that's Tampa Bay all the way. But in terms of the way that Justin Jefferson has been playing and the way that Kirk Cousins has been playing, I'm a little skeptical that the Vikings can actually pull it off. I think that's a perfectly logical take um, because Jefferson's been incredible. Uh, If Justin Herbert continues to struggle, I think you could be talking about the possibility of Justin Jefferson making a case for uh, offensive rookie of the year. He's been He's been amazing throughout the course of the season, guys. His yards after catch have been sensational. The last two weeks, he's seen 25 total targets, over uh, just under 200 yards, three touchdowns in those games. It's remarkable to think what they could have been if they would have tried to utilize him in the first three games of the season where he saw a total of six targets, and, and that was about it. Justin Jefferson's been remarkable, and conversely, the Bucks defense uh, really has struggled against the pass over their last several games. But I, I do expect this stretch for Tom Brady and the Buccaneers to be much more successful. They have two more matchups against Atlanta, one against Minnesota, as you mentioned this weekend. Uh, this is a good opportunity, especially for them, to start to run the ball a little bit more effectively. Bruce Arians talked about it throughout the course of the week. He said we need to get Ronald Jones more carries. In games that Ronald Jones has had 20 carries or more this year, guys, He's had 21 fantasy points, 29 fantasy points, and 28 fantasy points. Basically, if you open up the running game, it forces Tom Brady not to have to chuck the ball downfield where he's been a disaster this year. I I think that's going to be part of their game plan against Minnesota, and I do expect Tampa Bay to go ahead and win this game. Heist, last question that I've got for you. Much of this season has basically been about young quarterbacks, whether it be uh, teams getting positive or negative results from those players. It's been about what those guys have done, and you look around the league it's been kind of up and down like Lamar Jackson last year was the MVP and this year it's been disappointing to say the least Josh Allen has always been up and down but this year he's been quite good Kyler Murray starts out so hot and then goes kind of back to the pack and Justin Herbert's been really good up until basically last week I asked this on Twitter the other day I would love to get your answer to this if I told you you get one of these four quarterbacks for the next decade so you can't answer Patrick Mahomes who are you taking Josh Allen Lamar Jackson, Kyler, or Justin Herbert? Out of those four, who would you take for the next decade? It's a great question, and I saw that, and I voted, and it it took me a a couple minutes to really think it through, and I ultimately decided between Kyler Murray, 
over Justin Herbert. And the reason was is that I feel like Murray can kind of do a little bit of everything. You know, you've seen Josh Allen take some major steps in the right direction. He's had some great games, but he's still a little bit too turnover prone. He still is a little bit more reliant on his legs than maybe I'd like him to be. Um, And the accuracy still remains a bit of an issue. Stephon Diggs has actually hid some of those deficiencies. Uh, With Justin Herbert, this is a guy that's taking some great opportunities in the middle of the field. He's got good weapons around him, uh, and everything has really clicked for him. But I, I just like the added dimension that Kyler Murray has the fact that he's a number one pick uh, says something to me in that department as well Um, he can run he's accurate on the run he's in a really good stable offense right now and I think the reason that you've seen his numbers dip is due to the injury and not necessarily due to scheme or or opposing defenses really starting to figure him out I'm a big Kyler Murray fan Um, the the fact that they went ahead and and credit to Steve Kime who made some bad decisions in Arizona guys uh, but once he realized that they had the opportunity to take Kyler Murray despite taking a quarterback the year before uh, he recognized his loss from the very beginning with Josh Rosen moved on and now has made an altering decision uh, to positively positively impact their franchise so I, I really think Kyler Murray of those four guys is probably the guy that I'd go with but certainly if you're any of those four quarterbacks I think your future is right even for Lamar Jackson who has struggled this year he has been Heisler find his work over on Sports Illustrated also on Twitter at Benny Heis Heis always appreciate the time man all the best to you and your family we'll talk with you again next week bud Looking forward to it, guys. Be good. Absolutely. That's Ben Heisler here on 101 ESPN. Man, I am going to go back and forth on that Cardinals versus Giants game a million different times. A million different times because Kyler doesn't look right. The Giants have a corner in James Bradbury that can absolutely give them troubles with DeAndre Hopkins. Nobody else has stepped up in that receiving core of late. It seems like we've seen Cliff Kingsbury's offense kind of get figured out by the NFL at this point. I'm very worried about that game. The Cardinals are more talented, but the Giants should get back Daniel Jones this week. I, I'm leaning towards the Giants at this point. See, I've taken probably two NFC East teams in terms of pick'em challenges this entire season, and now this week I might be taking two NFC East teams. You taking Washington against yeah, the 49ers? I mean, Washington against 49ers seems like the logical point right now, especially with no Garoppolo and no Kittle. But I'm with you on the Giants, too. Like, I don't know how you pick against the Giants when you watch what they have done. And they might be getting Danny Dimes back. So there are two other games that are 50 50 right now in our pick them challenge. Steelers versus Bills is one of them. Uh, and the other game is the Bears versus the Texans. And I have zero lean on either of those games. See, zero. I, lean. I feel like the Bills and Steelers is just a coin flip right now, especially for the way that the Steelers have been playing and how Buffalo. the Bills are. The, the other one, though, that's the one I, I lean more towards Houston because of the way Deshaun Watson has played. But I mean, Chicago's defense is always so damn good that they might change that a little bit. Yeah. And they have nobody to throw to yeah. in Houston right now. I mean, without Will Fuller, that offense is just it's it's decimated by injuries and by suspensions right now. So I I don't have a great lean on that side either. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it, which is coming up next, including will Tyler O'Neill and Matt Carpenter both Hit at least 15 homers next year. We'll bet it or forget it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for bet it or forget it. Some big news in baseball coming out right now. This comes from Jason Stark of The Athletic. According to him, the Philadelphia Phillies are on the verge of hiring Dave Dombrowski to be their next president of baseball operations, GM guy that's in charge of the baseball ops. 
This is a stunner. We had heard a few weeks ago that Dave Dombrowski was not interested in any opportunities in a front office. He had been he had moved to Nashville. He was supposed to be the guy that was in charge of the relocation efforts, uh, the expansion efforts in Nashville. That is clearly no longer the case. He's going to Philadelphia. He's going to be in the Phillies front office. This is surprising. Um, Bet it or forget it, Ferrario. The Phillies are suddenly now going to be among the teams that are spending this offseason because that seems to be what Dave Dombrowski always does. I'm going to bet it, and I don't know if it's going to be spending or if it's going to be wheeling and dealing on the trade market because Dombrowski does both. We saw it in Detroit. We saw it in Boston. And heck, he won doing that strategy. And I think now that Philly has moved on from Gene Segura, who I don't believe they re-signed, let him kind of become a free agent, would be surprised if Philly finds a way to go out there and make an acquisition on one of these shortstops before they hit the market. But Frankie Lindor, Frankie Lindor, baby, I, I'm betting it, though. And frankly, I, I think you look at Philly now like you looked at the Mets when we found out and heard from Steve Cohen. I also wonder I'm betting it. I think that they are. Go, I don't I wouldn't go to that degree. I don't think they're going to be in on multiple of the big time free agents, but I do think they're going to spend more than we expected them to because of this move. I also wonder if this is an indication that we should expect that Nashville franchise to now have Theo Epstein as the voice for it. Because remember, said he didn't want to do that, though. He did say, though, that he wanted to be a part of a ownership, ownership group. group. And yeah. maybe he I don't know this to be the case. This is pure speculation. But my guess would be there's a reason why Dave Dombrowski went back on his word. Because he, every indication that we had was Dave Dombrowski wanted to stay with that team because he, that group, because he gave them his word that he would be a part of the expansion franchise there in Nashville. And now he's not doing that. I don't know if it's because he sees a great opportunity in Philly and just couldn't pass it up, or if there's another baseball person that recently became available that could be a significant force behind them in Nashville, it wouldn't stun me if that's the route that this okay, goes. Okay, better to forget it then. Do we still see an expansion team in Nashville at some point soon? Yes. Because I feel like this might have taken a hit to it. What if Dombrowski found out that Nashville's not going to be getting it anytime y- you soon? You know what Nashville brings to Major League Baseball? A hell of a lot of money. Damn right. <laughs> you know what these owners love to have right now? A heck of a lot of money. So I'm still betting it that we're going to get an expansion team in the next few years. All right. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for Bet It or Forget It. I heard this on the fast lane yesterday. Would love to get your thoughts, Ferrario. Bet It or Forget It, Tyler O'Neill and Matt Carpenter will both finish this upcoming season with at least 15 homers. O'Neill and Carp both hit at least 15 homers in 2021. I'm forgetting it, and I don't even need to think about it because I don't think Tyler O'Neill is going to get the amount of at-bats that he needs for 15 home runs, which sounds crazy to say. But again, think of the log jam here. You got all of these guys. They're talking about using platoon players. Mo mentioned it yesterday. I mean, you could be talking about Tyler O'Neill as a platoon player with Harrison Bader. So I don't see him getting 15 home runs. The likely of the two, I would say, is Matt Carpenter, which I'm amazed I just said that. But I don't think Matt Carpenter is going to see the amount of at-bats he needs because, remember, 500 plate appearances and or 550 plate appearances, and this guy's 
contract goes into one more year, and they're going to limit the amount of time he gets it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna forget this one. I'm betting it. What? I'm betting it. <laughs> what? I know it's insane. Uh, I get that. Yeah, it is. Matt Carpenter in 2019 played 130 games and f- hit 15 homers. He was right on this line of hitting at least 15. He had a terrible year. He was not good offensively. He hit 225 that year, but it came with 15 homers because of playing time. Eventually, you just get so many at-bats that you're going to make some contacts. It's going to be for some power, and you're going to hit a few of those over the fence. So I think Matt Carpenter is going to be your starting third baseman next year. I don't think that they are going to bring in anybody else at that spot. I think if they're going to upgrade, it's going to come in the outfield slash DH. So Carp's going to get his opportunities. He's going to hit them. But you said both of them. You think O'Neal will And I also think you're going to see this year every opportunity for uh, Tyler O'Neal to be able to become the player that they think he is. It's gold glove, Tyler O'Neal. And I I don't think that he's going to be that. I think at this point we kind of know what Tyler O'Neal is, but we also know that he has power. He's going to hit some homers this upcoming season, and given the opportunities, similar to my explanation on Matt Carpenter, I think he's going to walk into 15 homers, and they will both finish the year with at least 15 home runs for the Cardinals. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. We talked a little bit about this earlier. Alex, bet it or forget it, Alex Reyes will finish next year with more starts than Carlos Martinez. Bet it. Easy decision here because I think hearing Mo talk about making sure that Alex is going to be stretched out for spring spring training tells you what it tells you because he also said Carlos isn't going to be getting all of these opportunities but two I don't know if Carlos Martinez is even going to see that many starting opportunities regardless if he has a great spring training he's got an uphill battle to climb with what happened to him in the offseason with how he fared last year as a starter and for how Gomber Ponce both played as starters So I think right now you have those two options in the rotation. Reyes is ahead of Carlos and Reyes is going to get every opportunity because there's more control and he's less expensive. So I'm betting it because Reyes is going to be a starter by the end of this season for the Cardinals. See, I'm going to go ahead and forget it. I would love to see Alex Reyes be a starter for the Cardinals. And I think he's got a good, a good chance to do so in 2022. I don't think this is the year that he's going to make the rotation. It just seems like a lot to put on a guy who just had his first quote unquote healthy season in what, five years? And now you're going to have him go into next year when he only threw, I think, like 30 innings last year. Right. And he's going to suddenly get up to like 100 plus. It seems unlikely to me. I think you want to see a full 162 game season out of Alex Reyes, have him be healthy the full year out of the bullpen. And then in 2022, that's when you give him his opportunity to get back into the rotation. I think Carlos will not be a regular member of the starter starting five, but I think he's going to get his opportunities. We all know how this works. You're going to have some injuries. You're going to have guys that get days off, especially in this weird year. So I think Carlos is going to get five, six starts next season. And that ultimately ends up being more than Alex Reyes, who gets a spot start here or there, but is not a starter for the Cardinals. in The one thing I can see happening is I can see there being an opportunity for Reyes to start in Memphis, stretch out. And then by, I'd be stunned if he's not in the big leagues. 
I would be too, but if they want him as a starter and you give him a couple of months at AAA, which they didn't have last year. But if you're going that route, just start him in the majors. We know he can pitch well against major league pitching. If you're going to have him throwing the innings, I would rather them be in the majors than down wasting away in the minors. Those Uh, numbers don't count for anything. I agree, but I wonder if they're going to want to be able to have a leash on him, which you could have a leash on him, but if you have that leash in Memphis, you have more options to kind of offset if he only gives you two or three innings rather than at the major league level. Yeah, I, I just think you have so many guys right now. Like, I mean, if he only goes two or three innings, piggyback him with Ponce. You know, now yep. Ponce can give you three or four, and you get into the back end of the bullpen, you're six innings into the game, and you feel good about it. Yep. I don't think that's going to be what holds him back. I think it's just they want to see him healthy. They, they want to see what he can do when he's healthy for a full 162, and so far, we haven't yet seen that. Stay away from walls, and he'll be fine. Last one, bet it or forget it from 3-6. Guys, bet it or forget it. Mizzou makes an SEC title game at some point in the next three years with Eli Drinkwitz as the head football coach. Oh, I'm betting this. I think the fact that they're ranked now as top 25 is a huge, huge move forward with these with this team. But on top of it, what Drink talked about the other day, saying that this recruiting class right now in the state of Missouri is best that it's ever been. They've already landed a top, a four-star recruit, mm-hmm. and I'm going to see and believe that there's going to be a lot more of that locally for Drink for what he has done. So I can see an SEC cheat. Look, it's not going to be easy with Alabama going up against them no matter what, but I see them trending in that direction within the next three to four years. I hope I'm wrong on this. I'll go the optimistic. Right? I, I hope I'm wrong and that they, they do make it, but I'm going to say forget it. It's, Florida's really going at a, at a high, la- high rate right now. Dan Mullen has that thing rolling and Georgia is always going to be difficult to beat. So I think Mizzou is comfortably the third best team right now in the SEC East. Can they break through? Sure. We saw it in 2013. We saw it in 2014. You can have the odd year here or there where you're able to ultimately make a a bigger run than people would expect. Next three years, though, is tough, man, because these teams are kind of in the middle of their cycle. In 2013, Mizzou found a way to break through while Florida was down. They weren't at their peak of their powers. Dan Mullen has it going now. I don't think that's going to happen over the next few years. But the recruiting is what makes you believe, whether it be two, three, four years down the road. Mizzou right now is the 20th ranked recruiting class in the country. That's as good of a recruiting class as I've ever seen Mm -hmm. from the University of Missouri, including when Gary Pinkle was there. And for next season, you've already got a good start with a four-star out of St. Louis. You've got a three-star out of Kansas City. He's 18th currently in the 2022 class. Drinkwitz has things going in the right direction. I just think it's a really, really high bar to clear to be able to win the SEC East in the next three years. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESP. And want to hear from you. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. After what you heard from John Mosellock yesterday, are you more optimistic more pessimistic or holding steady on what the Cardinals offseason plans are going to be. We'll give you our answers here from you coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. David Dahl ain't walking through that door. All right. Justin Williams is going to get the opportunity to be a left-handed middle of the order bat. Dylan Carlson's going to get the opportunity to be the left-handed middle of the order bat. I would be shocked if, aside from catcher, if Yadier Molina leaves, if the Cardinals go out and spend any real significant money on a player that has a chance to play for them on a regular basis. Oh, boy. That was Randy Carricker earlier today. 
65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in the show. Are you more optimistic, pessimistic, or holding steady on the Cardinals' offseason plans? Based on what Randy just said, I think it's pretty easy to say he is more pessimistic on what the Cardinals' plans are today than he was whenever this thing opened up. Ferrario, where are you at on this after hearing what John Mosellock said yesterday? And knowing where we are with baseball's landscape of seven to ten million dollars kind of being what appears to be the price range right now for the average major leaguer, are you more optimistic, pessimistic, or holding steady on what the Cardinals offseason plans are going to be? I don't know anymore. This team is breaking my spirits. Look, I'm always a glass has full half full kind of guy, but I mean, they've led me to believe nothing is going to happen, at least over these last couple of days. One, because of them saying that nothing else is going to happen until they figure out what's going to happen with Yachty and Wayno, and nobody's offering these guys anything. So it really feels like it's going to be sitting on your hands until the market works in favor for the Cardinals. But then I go back to a comment that Mo had yesterday, and I told you this in the office, like this to me was red flag, red sirens going off when Mo said, you know, I don't anticipate being left at the altar for any players this offseason. Which, let's all be honest here, left at the altar means that they would have been in the bid for players, trying to sign players. But if you're not going to be left at the altar for any guys, you're not going to be bidding on guys that other teams want. Which means you are going to be at the bottom of that bar. You you are going to flip that bargain bin over at Walmart and just take the top piece off the bottom of that. Yeah, rack. you're looking for the DVDs that are all in, in that big box together, right? You're and work- they're they're yeah. they're they, they says three dollars for these DVDs, and they're all from 1997. You're <laughs> looking for Uncle Buck in a uh, unlabeled DVD player, right? You're looking for the VHS of Uncle Buck in a DVD bargain bin, right? Now. I watched to VHS last night. Did you? I did. I How watched did you do I watched that? Elf. Um they still have On VHS. On VHS. It was an <laughs> unbelievable experience. It took me back to my childhood. Um I would imagine. That, that seems like the right way to look at this. And John Mosellock's comments that you're referring to are basically, hey, listen, we we want to bring back Wayno and Yachty, but by waiting for them, no, we don't feel like we're gonna miss out on anything. And that does seem to indicate He's not expecting that any of the guys that they're going after right now would sign early. And the guys that are signing early are either a players that teams clearly targeted, such as what the Royals did with Carlos Santana and Mike Miner. They clearly targeted those guys. The White Sox clearly targeted um, Adam, Adam Eaton. The other guys that you're hearing so much about are the top players on the market. You're hearing a lot about James McCann and JT Realmuto and George Springer, the interest in all of these guys. I don't think the Cardinals are bidding in those types of markets. So I kind of understand what he's saying, where they're probably not going to be left at the altar. The other significant factor here is people don't even know if there's a DH next year. And most of the players that the Cardinals could or would be interested in are at least candidates to be a DH for team. Eddie Rosario could be a candidate to be a DH somewhere. You know Nelson Cruz. That's all he's going to do. He's Mm -hmm. not signing anytime soon until he knows for sure whether or not the National League is going to have teams that are interested in him. So as of today, I'm more pessimistic about what the Cardinals are going to do this offseason. And he reiterated once again last night, he does not expect that the Cardinals will increase their payroll. In fact, he thinks that it's going to decrease from what it was a year ago. They were at 165 last year. They are already today, as of today, committed to about $150 million on their payroll for this upcoming season. So you're basically telling me 
that they have $15 million to spend this offseason. That's the maximum. And is that 150 taken into consideration the arbitration players? Yes, that is including everybody that is expected to go to arbitration and what their raises will be this upcoming year. They're at about 150. That's an approximation. So you have about $15 million to spend. If at a maximum, they're going to be right underneath what their salaries or their payroll was for a year ago. Well, suddenly this becomes a math equation, right? Yadier Molina, if we expect him to get eight to ten million dollars, that leaves you with seven or eight million for anything else you want to do. Well, you could probably either bring back Adam Wainwright with that money or go out and acquire a bat and boom again, we're done. That's the end of your shopping for the offseason. I do have a little bit of a, a conspiracy BK oh, that I would like to get into, Ferrario. Okay. If you don't mind, can yep. we get it? Can we get the music going here? Because it's it is I'm putting on my tinfoil Ferrario hat. Let's do it. I'm trying it on for size. I heard a comment from John Mosaylock yesterday. I'll let you hear the full thing first. That seemingly indicated to me they might not be interested in adding an outfield bat as much as I would have expected. (gasps) Let's take a listen. Think about someone like Harrison Bader in center field, who obviously the ground he can cover and help to whomever is on the left or right of him. Mm, okay, <laughs> let's give this a listen to the specific part that I'm referencing here. Listen to what comes right after he says Harrison Bader can make blank. Listen to this part. Help to whomever is on the left okay. or right of him. Did you hear that? To, the to, to whomever. To, to, to. He can help to. What do you think was about to come there? What was the name or the object or the thing that he was about to say? Well, let's 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 go through this. How many outfielders have a T? Tommy Edmund? No, Tommy. He's Pham. playing second. He's not He's here gone. anymore. Uh, oh, oh, Gold Glove Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill. Ding ding ding. I think he was about to say it was about to spill out. Hey, Harrison Bader can make Tyler O'Neill a better player next to him. To whomever is on the left or right of him. If that is the way that they are going to go about this, they seemingly would indicate by, based on that answer, they're going to go with Bader in center. They're going to go with Carlson in left, and you're going to see a healthy percentage of Tyler O'Neill in right field. He'll probably get some opportunities when Dexter Fowler isn't out there. I think you're going to see basically these guys that we've been talking about well and he also talked about justin williams yesterday and i know that name is probably like okay well that's just mo talking but he talked about finding at bats for a guy that has the power potential lefty bat by the lefty way. bat who is hit and if you're going platoon everyone which john mozalak talked yesterday about he's utilizing the platoon if this team has to you got the lefty bat, which everyone wanted Jock Peterson. Justin Williams White might be the cheaper Jock Peterson for this team this upcoming season. Yeah, it's uh, listen. I don't know if that's actually what he was going with there, but it's seemingly it, it's, a, it's a damn good tinfoil. It certainly feels to me like everything is leading towards the Cardinals bringing back Yadier Molina and then seeing what else is out there. And if that means adding one bat and letting uh, Adam Wainwright walk, that very well could be what he ultimately ends up doing. If it means bringing back Yachty and Wayno, I don't think you're going to see a significant upgrade in the lineup. I hate it. I wish that wasn't the case. I wish they would go spin big. I just don't think that that's going to be what they're ultimately going to do. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESP, and we're going to cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
the holiday spirit, contribute to Character and Smallman's 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser for the Little Bit Foundation. Jamie, I know you know all about this. Absolutely. Great foundation. Donate at least $25 online between now and December 14th, and you get none other than a free 101 ESPN t-shirt as a gift for your donation. That donation is going to help the Little Bit Foundation provide a backpack of school supplies to a local student in need. Huge thanks to our presenting sponsor, Massage Lux, and a special thank you today to Doc's Harley-Davidson for making a donation match of $500. Awesome. Cool thing that Doc's Harley-Davidson is doing, matching $500 to the 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser. All you got to do, go over to 101ESPN.com to find the information for how you can donate with alex ferrario i'm brandon kylie crossing things over with the fast lane jamie rivers in studio jamie what's up dude what's up boys you run here you're out of breath buddy yeah i'm running around the halls we're doing jingles with stewie it's like we're in the we're in the holiday spirit place like, like jingle like commercial jingles, no, like singing jingles. it's my big chance i'm hoping that people listen maybe pass my vocals on to some higher ups and you know that's how people get discovered 45 year old beginning singer i mean th- that happens all the time boys yeah it's it's the go-to right it's, it's like thing, right? 50 year old professional Professional athletes, forty-five-year-old yeah. singers. Look at Ricky Martin. It's really Ooh. just the way that These you hips get don't into lie, the Alex. business. That's Shakira. It's very different. I yep. understand. Very different. But I always, true, but is, very different. Some people think your hips don't lie. This I think true. they lie. Well. Screw you. <laughs> Jamie, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane, man? Uh, well, guess what, guys? We're going to get right to the bottom of things here. Okay. We've got Greg Wyshynski coming oh, up. Nice. Oh, yeah, nice. Greg wants to go and write all this stuff all over Twitter and then confuse everybody here in St. Louis about divisions and times and TV stuff. Well, guess what? We're going to go right to the horse's mouth and figure out what's going on. Hey, okay. Can we ahead. ask you about this a little bit? I yeah. know you're going to get into this plenty more coming up with the Fast Lane. People should tune in for all of that. W- what happened here? Like, I know they had to, you basically had to make a tough choice. If you're the NHL, it's got to be either Minnesota, Dallas or St. Louis that ends up in the specific division. And none of them are going to want to do that because of the travel, of course, and because of the start times. So what do you think? Because I don't think it's the television side of things that did this the way that Wyshynski indicated yesterday. Uh, I'm actually certain that that's not the case. Uh, what do you think happened if you had to speculate? Well, f- as far as the TV thing goes, we are going to get into that. I had a phone call today with a high up from Fox Sports Midwest, and we are going to clarify a lot of stuff to do with that. And, and just so it's not a big, huge tease, you're right. I don't think the TV wasn't a big part of this. Uh, I don't know the ins and outs of why exactly St. Louis got picked. I do know for a fact that Minnesota was like, no, we're not doing it. No chance. We're not going out west now dallas i don't know if they had a say in it or not i'm really not sure was st louis maybe the team that just was like kind of indifferent which guys actually it doesn't really surprise me no you know you look at the attitude of the franchise overall just get us on the ice just just play yeah. i don't care yeah. you know it, it, it is what it is it's a unique season again and you're just gonna have to deal with it and again this isn't in concrete like i've talked to numerous people between last night and today that said this could change tonight it could change tomorrow of this division realignment it's just what they're going with now and, and i feel bad for greg because greg was texting with me last night because he put it out there first they're giving their blast him for the divisions where he put the projected divisions mm. a couple weeks ago and he left out the flyers but look he's getting he sources like flyers well <laughs> nobody likes the flyers he's getting <laughs> sources from around the nhl like these are changing non-stop but then when he put it out there last night that his sources are saying that the televisions made the decision 
That's what he's hearing. This is like a moving target right now. And I just feel bad for Greg because he's a good friend and he does a great job. But it's you put one thing out there that you're hearing from high ups in this business. Yeah. And then it changes on a dime and there's nothing you can do. I don't feel bad for him. Oh, I really don't. I'm not being a jerk here at all. This is his job, right? And what I think is you take the good with the bad, and he is reporting exactly what he's hearing, what Mm -hmm. he's being texted or talking to people about, and it is what it is. It's either going to hit or miss, and it's either going to be true or false when it comes to fruition and it gets solidified. It's the business, man. You live and die now as a media personality with social media. Especially if you're using sources. Use sources, anonymous sources. This Mm -hmm. person said this. It's a tough grind. But yeah, Greg Wyshynski, at least the one thing I will say, he's uh, he's gutsy enough to just put it out there, yeah. deal with it. He's not uh, afraid to clarify things and as he's coming it goes. on with you guys today. He's, yeah. coming he's clearly on with us. willing to face the music. He yeah. sent me the message last night when I put it out there that said, uh, from what I'm hearing, the television had no decision in this. He said, look, I'm going to stick with my sources because they're high up in the NHL. And I said, that's fine. I said, I'm just going off of what I heard. Yeah. And so it, it is what it is. I'm, I'm pretty certain based on yeah. what we've heard as well, it, it wasn't. I don't believe that the TV rights deal, the Fox Sports Midwest higher ups had any sort of an indication as to what they wanted it to be. And that's why it happened. Question for you, Jamie. Uh I mentioned earlier today my guess as to what's going to happen next, because the Blues, even if they let's say they were accepting of this, right? It's what you said. And they're like, you know what? Whatever. It is what it is. Somebody's got got to bite the bullet. We're willing to do this. My guess would be. The NHL is going to make good on this somehow because you were the good soldier and nobody else wanted to do it and you were willing to. And so you made our life a little bit easier. Typically, what happens there? You scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. Okay, St. Louis, you were going to be involved in a winter classic. It was going to be on the road. Now you get another one at home or I know you guys wanted another all star game down the road. It's going to be a little sooner than it would have been otherwise. Something like that. I don't know what the exact thing will be, but I bet you just like in any negotiation, St. Louis will end up getting something for their good deed here. We would hope so. Right. And I do think that uh, the the path you're headed down with maybe, you know, uh, the winter classic. I don't know if it comes back to St. Louis that quickly, but maybe they're involved in a couple of other ones because we do know that the visiting team does share in some of that. Um, but also, too, you got to remember, guys, Sinclair owns all the Fox sports channels and all that. And there is a bigger financial deal with those teams based in L.A. and on the West Coast. They're, they're paid more money. So maybe strategically, the Blues get a bigger piece of the pie because they're willing to go out there. It might be just a little slice, might be just a few things, a few percentage points higher helps for them. Bit, but it all helps. Right. And, and I don't know this. I haven't been in the room with Tom Stillman and the people from Sinclair. Uh, one can only assume that at some way, at some point in some way, it's going to benefit the Blues. It, Jamie, the faster the Blues get another winter classic, the faster you get on the ice in the alumni game. <laughs> I just start the, the addition magician. I'm just going to put my name on the back. The addition magician. That's a terrible nickname. It's terrible. Terrible nickname. They'll remember it. God, you've had so many good lines, and then you had to come in yeah. with that one. That, that, that's yeah. what you led with. I think today. you just okay. wasted that line. Why? Are you kidding it's me? Terrible. Can't wait for everybody to be listening to that. That more of that is coming up from two to six. We'll be back tomorrow at eleven uh, for Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. The fast lane coming up next on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.